So, are you curious? Welcome to the Curiosity Codex. My name is Kyle Olson, and joining me is my co-host, Mr. Rob Cabasco. Hey! What's going on? Hey! Well, we're starting a brand new thing, so uh, let me tell everybody what's going on. Uh, so, before we get into capes and cowls, which I know is what you're here for, I wanted to talk a little upfront about what this show is. So, one of my favorite things in life is introducing people to things that I love that I think they'll like as well. But, as entertainment moves into more complex categories with... Transmedia properties, adaptations, time travel, multiple realities, what's in canon, what's out of canon, it can make it difficult to know where to start on something new. That's where we come in. So I'm not here to convince you that something is great or not. That's not up to me. Plus, we have a show that's dedicated to that topic. It's called Silver Linings. You should listen to it. It's very, very good. Mm. Uh, what I want to do is give you context, history, a, a framework for which you can approach these complex narratives. Let me give you an example from my life that inspired this. Uh, when I was a young man, there were two films that everyone talked about, but that I looked on as incomprehensible. One was regarded as great, one regarded as terrible. Those films are The Godfather and Dune. Hmm. So in college, two of my friends sat me down to watch each of them. Uh, both of them had seen these movies, plus all the sequels, plus read all the original source materials. They, they knew all of their stuff. So as we'd watch, whenever I'd get overwhelmed or confused, they'd pause and we'd talk about it. So they shepherded me through all the complexities and weirdness. And at the end, I, I got it. Like, I understood what was going on. I could tell why people loved these movies. But I'm not saying every movie or television show should come with a guidebook. Uh, but one chief element of geek culture is complexity. We love bizarre homages, the winks and hat tips to original source material, nerdy theories, headcanon, fanfic. These are all just ways of deepening our reverence for the material and keeping it alive in our minds. But it can also make it daunting for the newbies. I hate gatekeepers. I hate the term true fan or anybody who tries to keep people from getting into the thing that they themselves love. How dare you? Instead, I want to demystify. I want to lay bare the path. I want to become a Sherpa to lead you through these winding paths. An archgeekologist who can give you a guidebook into the thing that we're looking at. And we're going to need torches, headlamps, and giant neon signs to get through today's topic because we're talking about the DC Extended Universe, sometimes known as the Snyderverse. We're on the verge of the release of a four-hour superhero movie that both pays off threads from hours of stories and sets up sequels that will never be made. But how did we come to this? Why is this such a big deal? And where do you even begin? That's where the Curiosity Codex comes in. So this story starts with a guy named Zack and a tale of the undead. One, two, three. Yes, that's right. Zack Snyder's first film, uh, his most notable one, I should say, is the remake of Dawn of the Dead from 2004. Uh, of course, that music was not from that movie. That was actually from the video game Plants vs. Zombies. That was the, uh, what the song you unlocked if you actually beat the game. Um, so, uh, this, so Dawn of the Dead was a remake of George Romero's original movie. So this was the first thing. So Zack Snyder took it and sort of 
2000 it. Uh, so it was still the basically story of survivors of a zombie apocalypse, and they're all trapped in a mall. So the it had Sarah Polly, Ving Rhames, Jack, we- I'm sorry, Jake Weber, Mackay Pfeiffer, and our own Ty Burrell. We talked a lot mm-hmm. about him in the Marvel Movie Minute, uh, and so that was uh, his first thing. And it uh, it's a decent movie. I think uh, people still like uh, prefer the original, um, but. I think it did in the zombie things. I think it's held up pretty well. Have you seen his Dawn of the Dead? Oh yeah, right. yeah. I've seen no. I've seen that one. I'm wait. I'm still. Let me just get caught up here because I'm just. I'm mesmerized by that opening. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, Rob is going to be the, our audience surrogate here because I've told him very little about what's going to happen here on the Codex. I, I so kind of to sort of react in real time. Yeah. I, I, let me just tell you something. I'm ready to just like bundle myself up, strap me to your back. And lead me away, <laughs> lead me along as you Sherpa our way through this. I'm totally excited. I got to also then go back and play some Plants vs. Zombies after we're done recording yes. this because now I'm totally into that. Uh, no, like I I enjoyed that movie. I remember thinking it was it was a unique rethinking of that genre. Like I, I just I remember that and I remember it had like a funky twist ending i won't give anything away yeah right and it was cool because it was an interesting cast of characters because it will and mainly because it had ving rames which yeah. was it seemed like an odd if i remember correctly it seemed like a very odd role for him to take but it was it made it fun because yeah. he had he was established by the time he was in that true and yeah most people in there were sort of of a similar star right. status that you didn't always know who was going to live and who was going to die right that too so that made it also that which is good in a zombie movie so that was Kind of one of the rebirth of zombie movies. That's where they sort of came. So, like, from that sort of era was also then Shaun of the Dead, uh, 28 Days Later. It was oh, about yeah. the same kind of time period. Yeah. So, like, it really started sort of this rebirth of, of zombie movies to make them a more viable thing. Because they had been sort of relegated to the schlock bin. I mean, like, there is sort of the uh, all the iterations of Living Dead after the right. original Night of Living Dead. There Return of the Living Dead and Revenge of the Living Dead and all of these things that were sort of, they, they got gorier and stranger and, and more and more niche. Uh, this was very much a mainstream movie. And so that took Zack Snyder and sort of elevated him to um, get on Hollywood's radar, essentially. Not, he wasn't A-list from this, but he was more than just a sort of schlock director, which is when you start out in horror, you, sometimes you can just kind of stay in horror. Not everybody's James Gunn. Right. Uh, and so you you can sometimes just like have and you and some people can have a very good career doing this. Stuff, so I'm not disparaging that, but sort of like when you're on the way up. So but uh, this is the next time uh, that he sort of got attention was when he actually did another comic book adaptation. So this is the time when he really got on Hollywood's radar um, with a tale of very scantily clad men. Of course, that's also not from the movie. I, I was going to say... <laughs> 300. Uh, so that that little piece of audio comes from the epic rap battles of history, Master Chief versus Leonidas. Uh, so <laughs> this is uh, this was the first time that we'd seen uh, that Zach was a comic book fan. So this was based on the 1998 comic series uh, by Frank Miller and Lynn Varley. Uh, it was a it was a fairly well received one, but it was sort of a, an indie. Sort of more, a little more obscure comic, and so when it when it sort of uh, got adapted, people were kind of surprised because it's sort of like, how are you you're going to really make a movie out of like a bunch of dudes just fighting with swords? And okay, and then we saw it and went, oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So this is sort of a, a a something we've never really seen before. It was sort of taking that sword and sandals genre, which was what Hollywood sends or referred to as sort of out of the the 
Gladiator and Ben-Hur thing and putting it in much more of a comic book format. It was This is 2006, um, so we'd already seen... So the X-Men movies had been out and the Spider-Man movies had been out, so we were sort of seeing the, the beginnings of, of what would become the comic renaissance. Uh, and so this is a, a definite important chapter in that because we got to see it and and this is also where uh we learned about speed ramping we talked about speed ramping on um on the marvel movie minute as well because it shows up in incredible hulk because it was everywhere after this um and so the the the, what people a lot of times refer to as slow-mo but it's not actually slow motion it's shooting at such a high frame rate that you can slow the action down uh but the actors move in real time and they slow down and then speed it back up again so it's it's used a very good effect too, and um, you, it's also used by Zack Snyder to sort of make comic book panels. Right. So like, you know, someone will leap up in the air and then he'll slow it down to like, boom, there's your there's your amazing image, and then continue on. Um, also, we're seeing some. Of, we'll start seeing some of the things that will be prevalent over the course of the the things, including like super alpha male aggro. <laughs> Um, the use of uh, music, uh, you know, being super, super dramatic, uh, way over the top, and sort of incredible visuals and not incredible amounts of depth underneath them. Uh, oh, I would not yeah. say Zack Snyder is one for subtlety. No, this I, I can remember when this when this movie came out. I remember going to see it because there was so much hype, and I was not familiar with the comic. And I will say, like, okay, anyone who's seen it, and if you haven't seen it, you should. Um, and just know that it is, you know, gratuitous violence. However. It was unlike anything you'd seen before. You had never yeah. seen this type of portrayal exactly of like the Ben-Hur genre of film, but you had not seen anything graded like this colorized. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. just, it had a different sheen to everything you were seeing and, and plus the music. And like you said, everything mm-hmm. else, it was, it was kind of rock and roll to it, to the stone age. And you, you it definitely got into it. And that's why it, it's, it's permeated pop culture quite a bit. I mean, even oh, yes. to this day. So I mean, it's a significant yeah. movie for a lot of reasons. Yeah, it's still, and everyone knows it is a cultural touch point. Yeah. Like people, you talk about three hundred, and they say this is Sparta. You know, right. uh, it's it's, and it's also way way over the top. Right. I mean, that's that's part of it. It wasn't never meant to be a anything realistic. It was supposed to be superheroes and togas essentially. Right. I mean, like it was it was everything was supposed to be over the top. I mean, like the when the villain shows up, he's you know, nine feet tall and covered in gold piercings. Like it was never supposed to be like any type of historical record. Right. Uh, and, and people loved it. And so we, from that, we got a, a bunch of um, pretty significant actors uh, sort of have got their start there. Gerard Butler, obviously Gerard Butler's still working today. Um, David Wenham, who was in the uh, Lord of the Rings films. Lena Headey, who'd go on to be on Game of Thrones. Like mm. this was her first sort of big Hollywood role, and then Dominic West, from who was uh, mostly known for The Wire, uh, was in there too. So um, it was adapted a lot of stuff. The comic added a bunch of stuff in there, uh, but then people thought it was fairly accurate to the comic book too, like, enough so that he actually like recreated individual panels from the comic. Um, so after that, uh, he did Legend of the Guardians, Owls of Gahul, and Sucker Punch, and I really don't care to talk about either of those. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think they really contribute to the, what we're talking about here, and uh, right. uh, I don't really. I'm not a big fan of either of them. Uh, so let's uh, keep on sort of our topic, which is comic book adaptations, because then uh, finally they were like, you know what? I think he's ready for a a major project, a huge comic book 
characters um, to really get into something important uh, and to talk about a, basically to film the unfilmable. And so he got his next major, major project. Oh no, Adrian. Looks like the Reds are polluting the city lake. What do we do? We call the Watchmen. Strong together, united forever. They're the best of friends. But when trouble's about, you'd best watch out for the Watchmen. Now is the leader, and he loves to party down. Rorschach's friends to the animals. Yeah, when he's not clowning around. Why not? Beat up some thugs. Say no to drugs. Be in bed by ten. But if trouble's about, you'd best watch out for the Watchmen. What? So that was Watchmen. So that was actually from a uh, that was Saturday Morning Watchmen uh, by a a, a brilliant creator named Harry Partridge on YouTube. Uh, Check out his stuff. It's it has a whole animated. 80s beginning to it that's great I mean that was just like the first part there's like another whole verse where they, they show each of them and <laughs> how they it was sort of like they took the idea of the, the Watchmen babies that they did on uh, The Simpsons and oh, <laughs> did their own version of it too it's very very good um, so Watchmen so this is based on the 86-87 DC comic limited series by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons uh, so the Wikipedia call, says the, uh, the synopsis for it is a dark and dystopian deconstruction of the superhero genre. The film was set in alternate history in the year 1985 at the height of the Cold War between the United States and Soviet Union as a group of mostly retired American superheroes investigate the murder of one of their own before uncovering an elaborate and deadly conspiracy while their moral limitations are challenged by the complex nature of the circumstances. That's, that's, I'm like, that's a pretty good thing. Yeah. You know, it leaves out, you know... Drugs and rape and murder and genocide and all the other fun stuff that's uh, part of this. Yeah, that movie is filled with a lot of things. Yeah, so so the the comic book is is one of those like there's there's a couple that are held up as being like important. Like these are literature. These are beyond just your typical punch them slug up. And this was with that. So Alan Moore um, got a chance to sort of do his take on superheroes and so he didn't use any of the traditional ones originally the idea was that he was going to use existing characters and then as they developed the story uh, he was so like, Ror- that's why Rorschach looks like the question is because originally he was going to use trash he was going to use the Charleston characters so mm-hmm. if you look at the Charleston characters and then these and they, they sort of line up almost exactly so he you know, decided to do his own, then that way he wouldn't be beholden to anyone else, and nobody'd be like, "Hey, that, how dare you do that to my favorite character?" He's like, "No, these are all brand new." So, uh, it's it's basically like like the the story says it's about uh, it's a murder mystery, but then it's also about violence. It's about like the people who put on the uniform and why they do like some of them are just want to inflict violence on other people and so they do it under the guise of putting on a costume some people actually want to do good but they're terrible at it so they end up making things worse some people are it's their kink uh (laughs) there's all sorts of it's just it's very capital a adult uh it's very messy it's very uh but but also i'd say messy in terms of like the repercussions on the characters because it's very very plotted out like every every panel is decided on every layout of the page is decided on it's very very deliberate in storytelling uh and then uh, because of that it was basically thought to be unfilmable uh they there no one assumed they there's there's all sorts of people wanting to do this because it's hugely popular it's one of the best-selling comics of all time people want to do that terry gilliam was attached to it for a really really long time uh 
and they were and there's a television adaptation at some point uh, I mean they had all these t- things they were talking about doing but no one ever do it and then finally they decided like the movie and then they saw 300 and went that's our guy uh, they decided like that that Zack Snyder was the person to bring it to the story and the thing I thought was interesting is that uh, I couldn't I, I let's say I, uh, I, don't, I don't have the exact quote here but one of the main reasons Zack Snyder took it is he thought he'd screw it up the least. Huh. He, he basically got the impression for Warner Brothers is that they were going to do it, and he'd read the Terry Gilliam script and hated it because it apparently eliminated Dr. Manhattan. It involved a time travel thing at the end where they end up in our world. It was just very, very strange. And so he went, if anybody else does this, they're going to adapt it and they're going to be terrible. What if I make... They're going to I mean, they're going to do their own version of it. What if I make as literal an adaptation of the of it as I can, and then it'll be done, whether it's good or not, I don't know. But like, no one else will have the chance to screw it up. Like, you know, he's not going to let Tim Burton get anywhere near it. You know, that was right. the, sort of I think his philosophy of it. Uh, and I, 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 I say I'm, I, I apologize for uh, not having the quote at my fingertips. I did find it, and I just forgot to put it in my notes. Um, but that was the basic his his basic uh, premise of it. And then he, of course, then he thought. I can probably do something with this. Well, and I, I, okay, that's funny. I did not know the story about that Dr. Manhattan wasn't in the original uh, part, but you would yeah. think that a movie studio, and if you know anything about that character, you'd have to say to yourself, well, I don't know how we're going to do that in a major motion picture that's for audiences everywhere. <laughs> like, right. How do because, we do it? Uh, Dr. Manhattan is a super being who's also super naked. Yeah. He, like, <laughs> right. he does not, basically, he is evolved beyond clothing. Uh. Yeah, I, oh, that's a, yes, that's true. <laughs> no, like, and, and then, of course, Zack Snyder goes and, and does it. I mean, it, yeah, that's exactly what yeah. he is, right? So, I mean, it's a hard R. Like, that movie is, right. let's not, let's, you know, be clear on oh, that. Oh, it's definitely a hard R, yeah. I mean, and, and this is where we, we start, and Sucker Punch showed us some of this, too. And I mean, so 300 is definitely a hard. Oh, yeah, that as well. Right. And so you can see this is where he likes to play. Right. Uh, And so I I actually found a quote from him talking about before the movie came out, they were were, Entertainment Weekly was asking about it. And they said, well, one new point of difference to make them more grim and gritty, which that's a term that's that's hanging around like Hancock or the Dark Knight, which also seemed to work in Watchmen's favor. And so Zack Snyder answers. Everyone says that about Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins. Batman's dark. And I'm like, okay, no, Batman's cool. He gets to go to a Tibetan monastery and be trained by ninjas, okay? I want to do that. But he doesn't, like, get raped in prison. That could happen in my movie. If you want to talk about dark, that's how that would go. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, apparently from that, they're like, you know what? That's the guy that should uh, adopt Superman. Sold. Sold <laughs> so to the man talking to us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Watchmen is a, is a very interesting movie. It, it also is, it's close to, t- to three hours long. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it, it does uh, basically do the same kind of thing he did with 300, is he tried to adapt the comic as much as he could in terms of, like, panel layout. I mean, like, he really had the costumes look almost identical to what they're, there, obviously, with differences being the drawn versus the actual on a human body, um, he tried to like recreate the, the the structure of the story, which is like very very intricate. The major difference they changed is the ending. Now, spoilers for any of those seen Watchmen, but like in the comic books, um, Alan Moore is very clear about the fact that he stole his ending from an Outer Limits episode, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so much so that they actually puts a reference to that particular episode in Watchmen. Like you read it, there's like somebody's watching the episode of, of Outer Limits that he rips off, which is the idea that 
they pretend that there's an alien invasion to bring the world together. So this is in the 80s. The nuclear war is about to happen. And so the a, a mad genius comes to the idea of what if we can fake an alien attack and then everyone will come together to defend against the other, the outside, the, the weird creature on there. Well, they kind of looked at the audience and, and went, nobody's going to buy that. Because basically it comes down to uh, creating a giant space squid and dropping it on New York. And they're like, no, there's like, there's just no way. So they changed the ending to have it be that it's the same kind of gigantic event, except that it's a giant event that destroys most of New York. However, the evil genius pins it on Dr. Manhattan. So they make it look like this, their equivalent of their Superman, like of this world, who Dr. Manhattan can do, he controls the atomic structure of things, so he can do, make anything into anything else. Like he can, he's just incredibly ambivalent about everything. So <laughs> he's like, just doesn't have any interest in anything going on. So there, it's really hard to get him motivated to do anything. So they make him the bad guy so everyone is sort of like, oh, we need to stop Dr. Manhattan. Uh, and so that's what the, their premise was. And so that was the, the major change it did. The, the other major difference is really the tone because Alan Moore's sort of premise is superheroes are not a good thing. Like <laughs> the fact that these people are dressing up in costumes and beating up on people is not healthy. Like the like these people are not these are not heroes. These are just messed up people who are you know sort of externalizing their trauma and doing terrible things mm. under a mask. And so Zack Snyder said, yeah, but isn't that awesome? And so he sort of goes from, like, the, 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 the action in Watchmen comic is really brutal and, oh, and yeah. like, and not, and not gratuitous in the same way that, like, 300 is, like, gratuitous. Like, it's not, like, big full panel pages of, like, heads being chopped off and with glee. I mean, it's really close and intense and small panels, and it's, it's very disturbing and uncomfortable. Zack Snyder's is like slow mo, shiny, big. Like look at like like, yeah, sure, sure. Night Owl might be messed up as a person, but look how cool he looks in his armor, punching dudes in the face. Come on, it doesn't quite work as the the deconstruction of the superhero myth that I think that Alan Moore was going for. Uh, and obviously, we have uh, no idea what Alan Moore thinks of it because he has refused to. Uh, talk about it, see it, uh, be anything involved in oh. it at all. And everybody just sort of accepts that. Um, but this is the sort of aesthetic that Zack is going to bring to the DC universe. This over-the-top violence, the shininess, the the appearance of depth that, like, uh, you know, sort of the, the pop culture psychology. I mean, like, I'd say, okay, so the, this show, I'm not, I'm not here to... to to bag on Zack Snyder, I'm not here to say right. like things. He's he's the worst. I'm not here to say he's the best. I'm just trying to, and I'm not. But I'm also not a journalist, so I'm not just reporting on stuff. I am going to put my own commentary on things, but I'm also trying to give you a sense of perspective. So uh, I, when I'm talking for me, I'm not just talking to me. I'm talking about me, but I'm not speaking for everyone. I'm certainly not speaking for Rob. Oh, so. I, we'll see. Yeah, that may be yeah. true. <laughs> what What are your feelings about the Watchmen movie? Well, it is. It's brutal. I mean, there's parts of it that are so brutal and you know not what you've seen i mean okay it's it, it's probably i mean let's say this it probably is maybe one of the only superhero comic book movie adaptations that has a full-blown encounter scene between a male and female character right like very true i mean it's yes. something i was wow i really danced around that you did, you <laughs> but, did. oh I, i'm sorry i forgot to say something um 
Uh, shit can get real here yeah. because we have an explicit tag. Oh so, wait, what? Yeah, you you do not you do not need to swear if you want to. But yes, this is an explicit podcast because there is going to be explicit language coming up later on. So shit can get. Oh real. well, they had sex. So like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so used to that. Oh, I know, right? Wait yeah, this a is, this is a, for an R-rated guy. This is an R-rated podcast. Okay, so. No, I mean, well, I, all I just know is, and there's a couple scenes from that movie that till this day, like, still resonate with me. Most of them mm-hmm. involving R- Rorschach. Yes. I yes. mean, just all of them, yeah. pretty much, right? Yeah. So it yeah, is, the, it's Rorschach a dark movie. Is probably the best part of that movie. Oh, yeah. It was perfectly cast. Yeah. I think he survives the translation, I think, extremely well. Like, he's, yeah. it, it seems like he was the, the, the best of all of the stuff, like the best adaptation, like he was, all his stuff is great, right? Straight out of the comics, it's almost like, like you know, line for line, almost. I mean, it's, it's he was, he was my favorite part of it. You know, though, but I'll tell you, like actually putting it this way, and I'm, and I'm, as I'm listening here, right? Wow, yeah. I can see now how this teased Zack, Zack Snyder up to what he does yeah. next. Like, yeah. wow, you can, and you can really see why the, the first movie that we're going to talk about in regards to all this turned out the way yeah. it did. Wow, Absolutely. I mean, it's it's actually not surprising then. I mean, no, you can you can fa- you can follow the trend, and, and that's the thing is, people who thought when he got the big show, when he got to, to do the big stuff, that he was going to do anything different. Why would he? Right, because like he's shown what he likes and what he does, and he's being celebrated for it. So this is what he does. He, this is right, what he does. Not, like he, he's not going to turn into Steven Spielberg. Yeah, like he's he's charting his own path. Like this is the stuff that he likes, and that people seem to like because his movies were making money. Now yes. Watchmen wasn't. Great. I mean, it was a R-rated three-hour superhero movie, so like it wasn't, it, it was not Endgame. Like it wasn't right. going to pull that kind of money, especially back in then, that back in those times. Uh, but it did decently well, and it made its money back, and it continues to to generate, con- you know, commentary. Obviously, oh, yeah. like what we're doing right here and conversations of too enough that. Watchmen is still relevant enough that they then went on and created a television right. series of Watchmen. Right. Now. I, that I would say I would highly recommend anybody check out and know that it is not a sequel to the, this movie. No. So it, that series is not like like this. It is it is contemporary. So like it is that series takes place now ish. So like I think it was 2019, but it's basically in 2019. But it's following the events of the comic book. So because he he was you know i'd say 75% faithful to the comic like you can watch it and then go and watch the television series and kind of know what's going on but there are events and names and specific things that happened that didn't happen in the movie that did happen in the comic books that are directly mm-hmm. relevant to the events of the watchmen series and most importantly is space squid like basically the in the <laughs> in the watchman television series the space squid thing happens and you see it they actually at one point they go they visit new york or in a flashback and show you the actual squid i mean like they show you that that is something that happened and like squid is a sort of a, a reference to because when you start out the this is not a spoiler because it's in the first episode um when you start out the series there are shrimp rain so like the, basically that there's these weird little like uh, tiny squids that are raining from the sky at various points all around the world, and that because they know that, that it's sort of as a way of saying like, oh yeah, the world has changed and the dimensions are weird and and it's still that that threat is still out there. Um, so yeah, squid is definitely a part of it. So I would say I would recommend you know 
see the movie or don't, uh, but definitely if you're interested in all this material, definitely watch the television series because it is as good as everyone is telling you. And so, that, and that is, and by the way, both of those, both the film and the TV series available on HBO Max. That's true. Uh, and if you if you do decide to watch Watchmen, and like I say, I'm not dissuading you from it. Um, I think it is definitely worth seeing. Uh, I would highly recommend seeking out the director's cut. The mm. it's in, in like a lot of these films, what we're finding is that the filmmakers come in with a big story, and then the studio goes, "Yeah, but we want to sell lunchboxes." Like you know, so they always bring it down. Like uh, I just had a conversation about Daredevil and the same kind of thing. The Daredevil director's cut is much better when you see the full story. Same thing with Watchmen. Uh, they tried to like bring it in in a more reasonable thing and cut some of the, you know, the the smaller elements, and it, I think it weakens the movie. So if you if you have a chance to see it, I would recommend seeing the director's cut. I do not know if that's the one that is streaming, uh, but I know it's it's out there in the world. You can I think there's Blu-rays available, and I think you can buy it on iTunes you can buy both versions um, uh, there's also a as as another thing we're going to see uh, continue on Zack Snyder there is an ultimate director's cut of Watchmen as well I'm not a big fan of that one and that one he tried to oh, let's see uh, well we're, we're here so let's 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 get nerdy <laughs> so in the original comic <laughs> um, the people of the universe of Watchmen don't like superheroes. Like, superheroes are not the... Dom- like, they are sort of in our culture, they're a dominant thing. People go to the movies, you buy the, the, the pajamas, you have the action figures, all that stuff. They don't care about superheroes in terms of that way. They love pirates. So pirates are the dominant culture in that universe. So everything that they watch are pirate movies, pirate comics. And so there is a comic book that one of the characters is reading through the entire course of Watchmen uh, called uh, it's Tales of the Black Freighter. And so, sort of, uh, it's 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 a it's a horror story, but set in a pirate universe. And so, at various times, they'll cut to someone reading the story, and you'll actually see panels of this comic book that takes place in the universe. They did an animated version of the Tales from the Black Freighter, and then they cut the animated thing into the movie, approximately where it goes in those little vignettes. And I don't really care. Like, I mean, I sort of like, I want to see the story of Watchmen. I don't really care about what's going on with this pirate thing, whether it's thematically linked or not. So adding that in just bloats the runtime, and then you go, ugh, another animated thing. That's, I mean, like, oh, yeah. I guess, you know, thematically it's supposed to tie into, but I, I find it's just more distracting than anything else. But mm. there you go. So if, if you have a chance, my recommendation, director's cut. Uh, if not that, then the actual cut, and then just ignore the... Whatever ultimate director's cut, I think it's called something like that. Um, so, but now, now we're gonna get into the big stuff. Now we're here for the man, the 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 man of the hour, the Tower of Power, the big blue Boy Scout. You know him, you love him. It's Superman. Rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers. That's right. It's Superman. So that was the theme from The New Adventures of Superman animated series. Um, So let's talk about Superman. So obviously there had been the four Superman movies starring Christopher Reeve uh, that had... uh, I would say it was a sliding scale. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Superman the movie right. uh, from 78 was a huge success. Right. Uh, the uh, I'm going to tell you a little story and see if it sounds familiar. So they had the same guy direct the sequel, but in after the filming was done, they went, yeah, we don't really like what you did. And so they, <laughs> they removed him, had another guy come in, 
use some of the footage and some of the and shoot some new stuff and then put something together and then put it out in theaters. Huh. It's interesting. You know, it's almost wh- like history repeating. Well, but the outcome will be different. So yes, the yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess we're gonna see. Well, I guess we're gonna that's why we're you know, I I gotta tell you I remember I can I can remember seeing Superman in the theater as a as a kid, yeah. as a six year old. Um I remember seeing the sequel. I do think that the sequel is far better. I think it's the I mean I really do like the Superman 2. As which, as it's cut uh, not the, the not same. the Richard Donner, not the Richard Donner okay, version. The original theatrical cut. The original theatrical cut. I never knew about the whole backstage shenanigans that, you know, obviously took place until much much later. I mean only until about maybe yeah. 10 years 15 years ago when the Donner cut was made available. Right. I love I mean Superman 2 is is like the classic movie because I'm just going to say this. The first Superman movie is amazing. However, the mm-hmm. ending is garbage. <laughs> Very true. You know what? I uh, Actually, when I uh, when I watched it again, so I sat down, oh, I'd say about a year or so ago. I think um, there was a, a, a podcast was going to talk about it. Uh, and so I, I sat down and watched it again. And I realized something I had never realized before. Because so Superman, the movie starring Christopher Reeve, came out in director Richard Donner, uh, came out in... 1978, I believe. Right, That's 78. Again, I'm pulling from my memory. Yep. Um, so, Rob, what was the dominant popular genre oh. at the time in the late 70s? Uh, 78. Well, that would be where I was still searching for Star Wars action figures. Yeah, Star Wars? Star Wars is one thing. But, yeah, so, like, if you, weren't, if you weren't a sci-fi fan, what were you going to see? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, I can remember. You know what? I, this, I'm going to pull just from my memory. It was Annie okay. and the Muppet movie. Oh, oh! Well, you were a kid. Yeah, yeah I was a kid. So, so okay. So let's say I say I'm leading you down a path. Yeah, right? yeah. So okay. So it's, it's let's say it's I don't know seventy five. You're a hip twenty something. Oh yeah. Out in the town. Oh yeah. You're not gonna. You're not gonna. See, you've seen Saturday Night Fever. You're not yeah. gonna see that. Like, like what? What is what is dominating the multiplexes? Like from for the last like ten years, what's been the big thing? Oh, this is a really good question. I over and over and over again. No clue. Disaster movie. Oh, airplane, got, airport. Air, yeah, exactly, yes. exactly. Like Towering Inferno. Towering Inferno. Oh. Earthquake. Like you know, uh, Poseidon Adventure. Like that yes. had been that had been the dominant thing. When I watched Superman, it's a disaster movie. Oh, geez, it really is. Because like you have Lex Luthor and stuff too, but everything that he do is like earthquakes and fire and like. Superman's not fighting. Whoa! God. You just—he's fighting earthquakes. You just blew my mind. Yes, right? the same thing happened to me. I watched it. I'm like, this isn't. This is a disaster movie with with a superhero in it. Oh wow! It's it, like it all made perfect sense. I'm like, of course, because that's like the language of the time. That's what they were. That people understood. Every. I mean, those were the those were the Marvel movies of the time. Were disaster movies, Towering Inferno, Poseidon Adventure. Everybody went to see those. Oh, and, and well. Just like those, just like those, they get worse and worse and worse as time went on. Well, and by the time you get seventy eight, they're pretty much done. They're done, and also too, what people don't know if you're not familiar with this this era of film, they were all like celebrity ensemble casts. Yes, they brought in a crazy group of people that you knew, like actors and actresses that you knew, and then of course as they went on, because they would probably ask for more money, and then they'd have to go to the next tier of actors and actresses, mm-hmm. and that's anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get your A, B, and C last yeah. actors, and, and and the thing is, because it's disaster, you know, it's an indiscriminate killer. You never knew who yeah, was well, going to live and who yeah. was not. So, 
so that was that was the first movie, and you're right. The second one was was is is still a a, a solid movie. It's a little weird at the end. Yes, too, like the the cellophane. The cellophane. Oh, <laughs> you I mean, don't think too hard about that. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. fine. But but you have Superman facing off against super powered Kryptonians, right. which is a theme we're going to see right. here come up very very quickly. And then Superman three comes out and. Uh, Superman becomes kind of a jerk, yeah. and uh, he meets uh, Richard Pryor. Uh, and there's a terrifying scene of a woman being turned into a robot. Uh, it's it's very very odd. Wait, the one, odd movie. I'm missing what happens in four. Then four is then and four is the quest for peace. Oh, that's right. So that is about nuclear proliferation. Oh boy. So you have Lex Luthor's nephew, played by John Cryer. Who creates Nuclear Man? Oh no, that's an right. An evil nuclear Superman with a fantastic blonde mullet and really long fingernails. Yeah. I am not making this up. Nope, you're uh, not. Also, a, a see-through mesh uh, <laughs> uh, costume. It really has to be seen to be believed. There's a reason he's never shown up anywhere else. <laughs> and they fight on the moon or something, right? I believe they do. Yeah. At one point, uh, Superman flies around and, and takes all the world's nuclear weapons and throws them into space. Oh. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a whole thing. Okay. Um, it was not great. Uh, it was not well received, and uh, so that was sort of the late '80s, and that was pretty much it for Superman for a while. However, it was still obviously Superman is one of the most recognizable characters in the entire world. Like you could go anywhere and show that S, and people know right. who it is and what it stands for. So Warner Brothers was hot to make another Superman movie. So finally, they after after a decade of deliberation, they went with. A sequel. They decided uh, to go with Brian Singer, pitched them. What if I continued on the same story from the Donovers? I'm going to go back to Superman 2 and make what should have been Superman 3. Wow, the big so, the big retcon. I mean, really. Yeah, the big retcon. Yeah. yeah. Even though even though it would involve none of the original cast, right. a lot of whom were, had either died or, or moved on to other things. And he would tell the story of that way. So... That was when we got Superman Returns in 2006, starring Brendan Routh. And if anything that we can talk about this, if, if we, you know, this, this might go in a negative direction, but thank you, Superman Returns, for giving us Brandon Routh. Oh, absolutely. Brandon Routh is a, is like, has been a really, really great addition to the, the pantheon of a superhero actor. 1,000%. He was a great Superman. Yes. And, he's, every, and everything he's done in the, in the Arrowverse has been great, and he got to reprise his role as Superman, and he still nailed it. Like, yeah. you know, whatever... 10 years, 15 years later, he still, like, put on the suit and was Superman again. No, that that movie is... I can't say enough good stuff about Brandon Ralph. Yeah. However, the movie... If... <laughs> well, and, and, and I mean, and here's my, my, the summary I would just say is, is that, you know, they nailed it. They nailed Superman. They nailed... It, 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 is, it is what you would actually think Christopher Reeve Superman would come back from Earth from his little, his little trip, right, after yeah. Superman 2. It's phenomenal. There's some really weird casting problems. Yeah. Uh, so it tells the story of Superman as a deadbeat dad. Yeah. Which is an unusual way to go. So <laughs> the basic premise of Superman Turns, if you've not seen it, is that at the end of Superman 2, Superman decided to go and see what was happening on Krypton. Like he was like, I want to see what's left. So he got in basically the pod and flew out to space. So now Superman Returns is that's where he's returning from. Right. So Superman returns to Earth, and then it's uh, ten years later. Five, I guess. That's five years. Five? Is it five? Oh years no, later? I want to okay, say five. I think it's five. No, I say that the the the. 
Lois's son is. Oh yeah, wait. So wait, I think what? About, I'm gonna say I say this. I, I guess I should have done my research. About we'll say about ten years. So about oh, no, ten f- years. He's no, gone. It, it, no. It actually is five. It actually. I'm really. It's five. Yeah, it's five. Is it really five? What is that? Doesn't wow, make that sense. makes no sense at all. Okay, <laughs> one of the many things in this movie that does not make any that sense. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so he comes back uh, and then sort of like tries to reconnect with the world. And of course, that means Clark Kent was also gone for five years. Mm, and so interesting. Tries. To, I know. So I like he's like well. My, the guy I was writing about was gone, so what did I have to write about? It? I just it's, not, it's not like you're going to send me someplace to report on a football game. Who'd send Clark Kent to report on football? Right. Uh, he comes back and then finds out that Lois is now married and has a kid. But wait. If you do the math on when that kid is... So they're basically retconning it to say that when Superman did his super kiss on Lois in Superman 2... Uh, he also made her forget that they had a relationship. Well, and that it was a physical relationship. Well, yeah. And we find out that that's actually his no, kid. No, I th- that may work then because the idea is is that they they conceived the child when they were in the uh, uh the, the aluminum foil bed, right? Yes, in when Superman he was too. mortal. When he was mortal, and then yeah, and then maybe a couple years happen, and then he takes off, and then he comes back, yeah. and so he's come back. He's been gone five years, but he's come back like eight years later. So ma- that actually yeah, okay. maybe maybe All that's right, the that plan. Works. But she's yeah. she's married to Cyclops. Not cool. Yeah, she's married. That's right. Um, and I um, and I will just say, like one of the things that did always, whenever I've seen this movie in clips and stuff since I saw it in the theater, Kate Bosworth. Well, totally enjoyed Kate Kate Bosworth. Mm-hmm. I just didn't see her ever see her as Lois Lane. And I had a and and so I there was a there was an issue with that, and then there's other issues with some of the other characters. Yeah. Um, you know, I say we don't. We don't have to. We're not going to get deep into. No, this yeah, it has yeah. its own issues. But I mean, uh, obviously, there is the the actor who should be forgotten and playing Lex Luthor. Yeah, we won't Less worry about, about that. him, the better. Um, there's a couple. There's some good things in it. I mean, like the the effects are really good. I think I I will go on a limb and say this is probably the most powerful Superman we'd seen. Oh, I mean, like he is impervious to pretty much everything. I mean, this is the Superman who. Bounces a bullet off of his eyeball. And that's cool. Like, that was... Do you remember when they showed the trailers for this? I do. You know, I have oh. a weird connection to this movie because the first and only San Diego Comic-Con I went to, I got into Hall H, and they did a presentation on Superman Returns and showed what Brian Singer referred to it as, as a tone poem. He's like, it's not a trailer. It's a tone poem. Oh, my God. And it showed a bunch of, like, just unrelated clips sort of set to, like, this sort of generic music kind of just, here's what I've been shooting, because he was in Australia shooting. Right. And you know, at the time, he flew over to do this, and then he flew back. Uh, and so they, and that was one of the things that they showed. One of the first things they showed was that was a big special effects sequence that they added in to show you know how powerful Superman was, and that somebody opens on him with like an M60, like, and you see the bullets just bouncing off, and they show a close-up slow-mo. There's slow motion again, more speed ramping. Right. Hit his eyeball and deform and fall to the ground. Like yeah. it basically just like bounces off. Something you had never eye. seen before. You had never seen yeah. that portrayed in real action in Superman. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah, a so conflicted it, I movie. I mean, he lifts like, you know, like an almost entire continent. I think, yeah. I mean, he was really at the height of his like right. you know, powers. That didn't work. Like no. people basically like didn't really. It, and once again, it's like most of these things, it does okay. Uh, but it, it doesn't set the world on fire. Like, it, it's it's not well regarded by everyone. It's just one of those things like, oh, well, they just don't know how to do Superman. And that really is the truth. W- right. The Warner Brothers did not know what they wanted. Uh, and so they basically went out to all the people in sort of the 
the late 2000s who were sort of movers and shakers and said, what do you got? They like basically like opened the floodgates. Like, tell us what you would do with Superman. So they got pitches from J.J. Abrams, from Grant Morrison, from Mark Wade, from Jeff Johns, from Brad Meltzer, Mark Miller, and Matthew Vaughn. That actually one got really close. They actually proposed a, like, trilogy of movies, like, telling, like, the, the whole story. So, like, this big, epic, sweeping story. Uh, and they, that and so, obviously, Matthew Vaughn went on to make Kick-Ass and Kingsman and stuff, too, so he's doing okay. But they just could not find the, the pitch that would be interesting to them. And so they were doing it. But then another little wrinkle came into the situation that made it so they had to make a decision, they had to make it quick. So in August of 2009, there was a court ruling that said Jerry Siegel, so Siegel and Schuster are the guys who created Superman, but they did it under work for hire. And so they basically had to sell their, to, to make a li- to, to live, they had to like sell their rights to Superman when they were broke. And so Warner Brothers owned it. And then there's been a long, long battle saying, that because they created him, they should be seeing some of the billions and billions of dollars that Superman has brought into Warner Brothers. Uh, and so there's been all these ongoing uh, legal things. So at the time, uh, the family recaptured 50% of the rights to Superman's origin, uh, the, their share of the copyright of Action Comics number one, which is where most of Superman's mythology comes from. Uh, the judge said the Warner Brothers did not owe the family's additional royalties from the previous films. However, if they did not begin production on a Superman film by 2011 then the Siegel estate would have been able to sue for lost revenue for the unproduced film. Oh. So it was kind of a a, a, a pay-for-play thing. Like, basically, they were going to have to write a giant check for a Superman-sized movie that didn't exist if they didn't put one today. So all of a sudden, it became... All right, not we want a, the the perfect pitch. It was like, oh, we want the best pitch, like uh, just something right now. Like who's got something right now? Uh, and so they didn't have to look very far. They went to Christopher Nolan. So Christopher Nolan uh, had been making the Batman trilogy that we know for them right there. And so they said, like, look, you you know superheroes. Like, wh- what have you got? And so they signed him on as a producer to put something together. So he listened to the pitches, and the one he liked best was from David S. Goyer. Uh, and so, Davis Goyer had written, helped co-write Batman Begins. He had written the uh, most of the Blade trilogy. So he sort of like had the comic book mojo. Like uh, he was sort of like we we thought of him as as one of us. Like he was uh, you know a nerd made good. Um, but then okay, so they've got the pitch, uh, which we'll get into, and then they've got uh, the producer, but they still don't have a director. So they went out to. As far as I can tell, everyone. <laughs> the names that have definitely come out have been Mick G, because Mick G was still hot off of uh, Charlie's Angels at the time. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, Robert Zemeckis, Ben Affleck, actually, as a director, they, they went to. Duncan Jones, who would go on to make the Warcraft movie. Matt Reeves, who's currently making The Batman. Uh, even Tony Scott. And they just... Nobody wanted to take on this project. Nobody wanted to be the one to do Superman. Did they go to, did they go to Kevin Smith? No, Kevin Smith. <laughs> oh, that I mean that that happens around in that in that time too, and that in the weird in between time. Right. Kevin Smith was one of the things that got pretty close. I didn't I didn't want to get into. No, it I'm I'm Burton, kidding. Okay. Nick Cage. <laughs> totally, that's a Kevin Smith. That's uh, like, been done. Yeah, yeah. You could you could do you could do a podcast series about what didn't happen with Superman. Right. So I'm just I was trying to just sort of stay as much as we can, but. Uh, I, I highly recommend if you're a Kevin Smith fan, find the story he tells about writing a Superman yes. movie. 
Uh, it is fascinating, and it shows you a different side of Hollywood where, like, what we're learning is executives have no idea what they want, no. <laughs> and they, they make really, really bizarre choices. Well, and just something to note is, so, you know, as we're talking about this, keep in mind, Batman Begins 2005, The Dark Knight 2008. Yep. So Christopher yes. Nolan's, I mean, okay, and by yeah, the way. he's white hot. He's white hot, and also Dark Knight Rises 2012, which means we're almost yep. 10 years away from The Dark Knight Rises. Which is insane. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was in the future. So, like, he's he is riding high off right. of Dark Knight. Everybody went, yeah. oh, like, at that time, best comic book movie ever. Well, and, and like everybody was... said, everybody said at that point, what's what's next? They were, yeah, they were I remember people like, okay, what's the next trilogy we can do? That yeah. de- Because, again, because the, what he had done with Batman. So, it makes perfect sense. I mean, like, right. the, from, the, from a... From a Imagine you take a known quantity, like you, they know what they're going to get with Christopher Nolan, and so right. like they put him in charge of it. And so he and Davis Goyer then f- decide on our boy. So like, <laughs> so yeah. Zack Snyder then gets the nod, and like, and basically then proceeds to rework the entire story. So he had very different ideas of what they wanted to do. So with David Goyer and Christopher Nolan, the three of them combined to tell the story. And so Rob, if you would be so kind. Would you give us a synopsis of the film Man of Steel? Man. Okay, first of all, let me just say, I will just tell you a brilliant title because here's the deal. Yes. I think when they did this, that was the first thing they did right and in the theme of Batman Begins, right? Not a typical Batman right. title. So Right. It actually takes its name from a the John Byrne miniseries that, they, that right. he did, which sort of was its own reboot of Superman because... It used to be that it was Superman pretending to be Clark Kent, but John Byrne said, no, Clark Kent is the guy, and he he becomes Superman for when he needs to, but he's always Clark Kent, which is a very different approach than we had seen in the past. So it was very much of a, he's a farm boy from Kansas who's pretending to be a superhero as opposed to a distant alien right. who pretends to be human, the, the Quentin Tarantino uh, version of the story of like, oh, this is his version, like what he thinks humans are. Um, it was a very much a grounded kind of story. But that's pretty much all it takes oh, yeah. <laughs> from that is just the yeah. title because that's not how Zack Snyder uh, took the story. So so here we go. Let's see Let's see if I miss anything. All right, number okay. we start with Krypton. Krypton is going to go boom due to, due to too much mining, which is mm. interesting. Zod, we all know Zod. General Zod, he kills Jor-El. He's banished to the Phantom Zone with his minions. Krypton goes boom, and Kal-El lands in Kansas and is raised as Clark by Jonathan and Martha Kent. He has a tough childhood. He has a tough adulthood. And Clark becomes a good-natured wanderer. Meanwhile, journalist Lois Lane goes to check out an alien ship, which turns out to be a Kryptonian scout ship, in the Arctic. And guess what? Clark's there. He sneaks into the ship, meets his AI dad, learns everything, and saves Lois when things go boom. Lois decides to keep his secret safe from the world after learning how St. Joseph died while Jesus watched. Wait, hold on. That's wrong note. Sorry. <laughs> well, I think you switched a name. I switched, I switched a story there. Okay. You, you understand what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, Zod, Zod, escapes, <laughs> Zod escapes the Phantom Zone, comes to Earth, tells the world, hey, hand over Kal-El while he hatches a plan to reform the Earth with his world engine. Watch the Star Trek reboot to understand how that works. And repopulate it with a master Kryptonian race based on genetic key taken from Clark and Kryptonian technology. Superman cooperates with the U.S. military to stop him sending his minions back to the Phantom Zone and putting an end to his plan, but not before a no-holds-barred battle ensues in the streets of Metropolis, ending with Superman killing Zod 
to save a family. Clark takes on his identity as Superman and his secret identity as a freelance reporter for the Daily Planet to stay close to the news and a girl. Mm, and scene. How, how was and that? <laughs> that was pretty good. You only left out one important thing. Uh-oh. Skybeam. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the military helps. I put yeah. <laughs> it. Yeah. Another skybeam. Uh, sky, that's going to be your recurring thing. Is, that's the thing. Uh, yeah, the yeah. Sky the skybeam. Yeah. What is so? Uh, what about yeah. this movie, boy? It's it's complicated. <laughs> uh, uh, so I'll say I, I have I have some stuff I want to talk about, but I know that this is this is one of the the things where our opinions differ because you are a fan of this movie and I am not a fan right. of this movie. Right. So tell me a little bit about what the 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 good points are in your opinion. Like not, I'm not saying defend it to me. I'm just saying like tell me like the the things that you think are awesome about okay. Man of Steel. Okay. So here's the deal. This is this is my general view on the movie is that one Marvel's established at this point, right? 2013. They've got they've got a bunch of movies in the can, okay? Their their genre is is clicking. Yeah. The key part I remember when I saw this movie was you can't out Marvel Marvel. Meaning if you're going to try and copy the form of Marvel, meaning, you know, good action with mm-hmm. with a lot of levity scattered mm-hmm. around and, you know, and and yes, for the most part, happy endings, everything works out. Well, it, it's just you're just copying Marvel. And I think that there was I appreciated the the desire or the intent to say, hey, look, we're going to go a different direction now. I also enjoy, and here's the deal. I I actually really, not because it's okay, and this is, and we're gonna differ, and and you can, and I can get poo pooed for this. <laughs> yeah, because I do in my in another day job I have because I do teach religion. I do like using some of the clips of this movie <laughs> as a Judeo Christian connection to certain things because let me just tell you something. Whatever whatever faith you or none at all, whatever whatever our dear listeners have. They really, I will tell you something. It's not just he went all in trying to make Kal-El the Jesus. He mm-hmm. went all in on making Jonathan Kent St. Joseph. Like in yeah. ways that I really don't think people fully understand. Now, is that is that good for Superman? No. No. It's not. I, I'm I'm full I'm in full agreement on that. Is it good? If I wanted to have some cool clips to play, <laughs> teaching about something, yes. I mean, there is, and I will tell you this. I mean, here's and here's my last thing. The, the, I I really enjoyed the music. I really really do love the theme. I love the, the 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 sounds of this movie, and I will say that the death of Jonathan Kent in the movie, that whole sequence, mm-hmm. just separate it from Superman. Just as a moment of sacrifice of a character for the benefit of another, I th- I think it was spectacularly well done. Like I really still love that, and I love the scenes of of, of Clark when his flashbacks of all the different times that he was bullied and how he used restraint in those moments and everything else. Like I love. There's a scene that I love that where he's in a classroom and he's just getting his 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 um, powers of sense. Yeah. And to see that type of, of of experience, and then his mother's the one who comes in to be his rock, those were things that you had never seen portrayed in Superman, and I do appreciate that stuff. Is it, a, is it all appropriate? No. 
It's not. <laughs> that's so. That's okay, all so I got. Since you talked about it, I was gonna I was gonna leave this for later, but let's let's talk about uh, the religious imagery sure. because it's it's not. Uh, well, it's like a lot of times people put stuff onto movies that were never intended to be there. This is not that case. This was one hundred percent intended. Like, yes. how old is Superman in this movie? Oh, like the like oh, Cal, yeah, like Clark. Cal. How old is Clark in this movie? I'd say he's in his thirties, right? Uh, yeah, he's uh, thirty-three. Rob. Oh no! Yeah, oh no! He's he's, he's thirty-three. He's thirty-three. Well, yeah. And people understand that that is that is believed that to be the death, Jesus yes, was, the, the, the age of de- Jesus, yeah. right? So I found a, a quote about, from Zack Snyder talking about specifically the religious imagery because there is a lot. Of oh religious my imagery. God! It's I mean filled. beyond that. I mean, there's there's the fact that when he um, is about to have his you know like this big confrontation, where does he go? He goes to church. Yes. And he meets with, and like, you say the door, and, like, the, the framing of it is the priest is sitting down, and Clark is standing no. up, so he has to look up at him to do that with the light behind him. And behind the behind Clark's shoulder is a stained glass image of Jesus well, <laughs> praying to God in the garden. Well, no, I mean, like, like that Not sequence, a- no, like, okay, let me just put a little thing here. That is a sequence where Kal-El is agonizing over his decision. Do I turn myself over to yeah. the Romans? Take or, this cup or away yeah, yeah, I mean, oh, Jesus me. Christ, superstar, man. No, like, <laughs> like that's that's that whole sequence. And what's the image behind him? An image of the biblical portrayal of Jesus, his agony in the garden, the, the night of yep. the Last Supper. Like, yep. what? I mean, that can't be clearer. <laughs> it's, yeah, it cannot be clear. And so I, I, so I found this quote. Uh, that this is when uh, Zack Snyder did an interview with CNN talking about the religious imagery. And he says, When we started to examine the Superman mythology, in the most classic sense, I really wanted to press upon the film the why of him, which has been 75 years in the making. The Christ-like parallels, I didn't make that stuff up. We weren't like, hey, let's add this. That stuff is there in the mythology. That is the tried and true Superman metaphor. So rather than trying to be snarky and say that doesn't exist, we thought it would be fun to allow that mythology to be woven throughout. Oh, wait, even I'm a little offended by that. Yeah. Cause, wait, because... Uh, what? Okay, so, and and the marketing department of uh, Warner Brothers also leaned into this. They created a whole section of the Man of Steel website yeah. about the Superman as Christ metaphor, including a downloadable PDF you could get called Jesus, the first superhero. Oh, even Jesus would be disappointed to hear that. <laughs> yeah. And like, there's, there's, I mean, we could go on about this. I mean, there's the scene where after he, you know, rejects um, the thing and gets put on his face, he falls out of the ship and he goes into a very familiar T pose oh, yeah. as he's falling. So, I mean, this. Well, well no. Uh, these were 100% intentional. Well, no, it, no and it was just text. It wasn't subtext. Oh, it was text. no, my God. I mean, you can't. Well, and one, you could go to the whole thing about. Um, when I make the, the funny thing about Jonathan and St. Joseph, that that is clearly there. I mean, oh, yes. absolutely clear. His whole death, because if you if you study anything about the belief, the belief is that St. Joseph dies somewhere between Jesus' 12th and 30th birthday. That's why he's no longer in the New Testament, right? Well, that's that's what happens. And the idea is there's, you know, talk about this and theologians about, you know, Jesus could have saved him. And St. Joseph was like, no, it's not your time yet. That's literally what happens in the movie. <laughs> like, well, no, and, and but, you, when you also have, okay. you know, I will, I'll even just make this one last point about how there's no way he can say that's not true. The scene where Clark, where, where Superman has has given himself over to the military, they're in the the interrogation room with Lois. 
he says it flat out. I am handing myself over to to you. I'm handing. I'm offering myself over as a surrender. I'm not surrendering to Zod. I'm surrendering to mankind. Like that's that's another way of explaining that. If you believe in that, that explains yeah. that. And then when she says, "What's the deal with the S?" Oh, it's not an S on my world. It means hope. Well, on here it's an S. The cross was an instrument of humiliation. Like. You, that whole line is a direct connection to that. You, you, no, you can't say that. Yeah. No. But here, here's the thing. Um, they, they really forced this on this. And I think they, they really like pushed this metaphor hard because it, honestly, as someone who's read Superman comics for a long time and looked for this stuff, there really isn't a Superman Jesus connection. No. There is a Superman religious connection. Yes. But it's not Jesus. I, I, it's like, and I'm not the first person to point this out, but folks, he's Moses. Yeah, wrong testament. <laughs> Superman is space Moses. Yeah, he was taken from his people, put in a boat slash you know egg, sent down the river yeah. to be raised by people who were not his own, and then later in his life he finds out where he actually comes from, and he decides to serve the people that he is with. He's Moses. Like, if you have to put a religious thing on it, that was. And also, Siegel and Schuster were both very good Jewish boys. Yes. His name is Cal L. Yes. That's Hebrew. Hebrew. Like the L. <laughs> the L. I mean, have ever anybody's ever noticed? Angels. Angel. Yeah. Michael. An- yeah. Cal L. Like Cal-El. that's it. <laughs> Yes. Like, yeah. he, like, so if, if you have to, and there's no reason you should, but if you have to put religious things on him, he's Moses. Yeah. Every time I see Superman as Jesus, I'm like, you're looking in the wrong side of the Bible. Yeah. It's, I mean. <laughs> it, it drives me crazy. No, okay. So to, how much so. do you think, and I can remember when I saw it, I mean, I did love it. I, I enjoyed it because, again, for the, for the main things I said at the beginning was that it's different. It was a different take. You're trying to come at this from a different angle, right? And I understand yes. that. I have some serious problems with this movie and their portrayal of Superman. And okay, so what you'd think it would be is the fact that I was a Superman fan, had read the comics, and it's different, and I don't like it. Uh, and okay, fine. However, over the course of the time, by the time I got to this movie, I'd seen a dozen versions of Superman. Right. Like, I mean, I watched the original George Reeves and things like they were still on television. They would do it. I'd seen Christopher Reeve. I'd seen Superman, the animated series in 96. I'd seen the Superboy series from the eighties. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Like I'd seen Lois and Clark. I'd seen Smallville. Like I had seen many, many, ver- it's, uh, let's see, super friends, superpowers, uh, the Batman Superman hour. I mean, like I had seen many versions of Superman. But something about this one just was so wrong to me that he just was so different that I didn't recognize him as being Superman. And I, I, I couldn't articulate it. So I did some research and I sort of found something that made me understand a little better. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through sort of what I discovered and then read some of the stuff that I found. And obviously, this is what, how I interpret it and what's discomforting to me. So I'm not going to say this is the definitive truth and this is what it is. I'm just saying, like, on my just internal thing of, like, why this movie fundamentally bothers me in the way that other things don't. I mean, I've seen multiple versions of lots of heroes. There's lots of different Batmans out there, and I, there's some I prefer and some I don't. But there's something about this one that just rubs me the wrong way. I'm not the only one, but I'm also not the voice of the, the majority or, or of all people. So... 
There's a book by Glenn Weldon called Superman, the Unauthorized Biography. I highly recommend it. He's also written one about Batman. Um, it's called uh, The Cape Crusader. It's very, very good because he talks about um, these characters through the ages. He talks about their original inception and how these characters change with the times. And he talks about what's going on in the nation versus that. I mean, I, if, if any book inspired this podcast, it would be the, these two books. So in it, he says... Superman changes as our culture changes. The only thing about him, in fact, that has remained untouched, inviolate, since Action Comics number one hit the stands in April 1938 is his motivation. That motivation is at once the simplest of them and the hardest to unpack. He is a hero. Specifically, one, he puts the needs of others over himself, and two, he never gives up. These are his two most essential attributes, the elements that make a Superman story a Superman story. And that is the beginning of the problem I have with this, because this is the most selfish Superman in history. So I started to like unpack that, like, where does that come from? Why is he like this? And then I started looking at Zack Snyder and what his sort of... And I'm not going to... No, this is, I'm going to talk about some stuff, and I'm not putting anything on Zack Snyder. I've never met the man. I have never, you know, read detailed biographies of him. I just know what he has talked about publicly and what he likes. And one of the things that he is very, very interested in is Ayn Rand and objectivism. He wants to make a movie about objectivism too. And so when you look at that, and I found a really, really interesting article online called Man is an End in Himself, an Objectivist Analysis of Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. And I read this and it sparked with me. Uh, so I'm going to read you some of this stuff from this website, and then like in the in the show notes, you'll you'll find the link to it. You can read the whole thing. The guy's very well researched, and so I'm just going to pull some stuff out there. So let's talk about dear old dad. Now we've seen several different pockets over the years. We've we've seen um, sort of the in the original Superman, the '78 Superman, much older man, and obviously he dies of a heart attack, and that Clark learns that he can't save everyone, and so that's the lesson. There. We've seen the sort of down home wisdom of Jonathan Kent on Smallville over the course of years, like always being the supportive dad, trying to help his son as much as he could. So we, we and there's the sort of octogenarian ones on the animated series that don't really have anything to do just sort of like you can do it Clark I mean they're not really relevant to things we see they're just good down home people but this Clark this this Pa Kent this Jonathan is very very different so I want to read some of uh, from this from this article so Snyder's Jonathan is hard, tough, and especially stoic. In two key scenes he instills in Clark several non-traditional Superman values apathy and the necessity of extreme individualism and prioritizing self-interest. First, when a preteen Clark saves a bus of children, which he was also aboard, Jonathan scolds him for using his powers and suggests that protecting Clark's identity is more important than the lives of imperiled children. Clark, what was I supposed to do? Just let them die? Jonathan, maybe. But there's more at stake here than our lives or the, world, the lives of those around us. This is explicitly teaching him to defy his instinct of altruism. Mm. Even from the first trailer, when they show that scene, I was like, whoa, what? Yeah. What did he say? Yeah. And, I mean, I, I remember like even the, the other fans who were geeks going, whoa, what? Hold, the, there's got to be more to that. They have to be just editing it weird. Like, no, that's full on what he intended. Right. Um, 
So uh, he, he goes on in the article. Uh, furthermore, Jonathan consistently uses the information of Clark's differences to isolate and alienate him from his classmates, as well as any potential future he may have adjusting to human life beyond the farm. Henceforth, instead of inspiring the expected humility, compassion, and empathy, traits commonly associated with Superman, the Kents contribute to the formation of this new Superman's identity, incorporating the values of indifference and apathy, extreme individualism, prioritization of self and personal preference, and superiority, supplemented with feelings of isolation and alienation. That is quite a cocktail to put into the mind of the most powerful being on the planet. <laughs> so... What, ha what what does that mean then? So when you take all of that and then you send that out thing, so when he becomes Superman, then it becomes an act of defiance against everything he's done. So he's then filled with self-loathing about it. I mean, you talked about him as the helpful wanderer. Well, yeah, except that a woman's being abused in front of him. He walks away, leaving her there, wrecks the guy's truck, and leaves. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. He, he takes okay, so like the guy really does come up, except that he could just walk back in and continue to abuse that woman. So, did you really help in anything? No, because anyway, so well, no, 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 that's a great point. Because ahead, when that scene, when that, I, well, no, when that's when that scene happens in the movie, I always think, how much more enraged is that guy going to be now? Right, that guy's gonna, he's gonna, he is going to completely lose it. Like, yeah, and because Clark is long, he's gone. gone. Yes. Uh, I so yeah, it's not wrong. So when you take all this and you get to the final battle, you know when it's like it's final and this and say I didn't even talked about like you know his him and Zod. That's not like we're not even talking about that. I'm talking about like how he goes about it. Right. And we can continue on the, re the religious metaphor of how he descends into the darkness on the other side of the planet to come and then comes right. back. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, continue on in the article. So, moreover, while the ashes of buildings and human bodies rain down upon Metropolis, Superman removes himself from the battle to lock lips with Lois Lane in the midst of a charred and demolished block of the city. In the selected scenes and throughout Man of Steel, Snyder presents a Clark Superman who pursues only his own superior self-interest, prioritizes his own goals, safety, and any person he prefers, Martha Kent, Lois Lane, and expresses indifference and a lack of empathy towards human suffering and mass death for which he is arguably responsible. This is my problem. I don't recognize this guy as Superman because he doesn't act like Superman. Sure, he punches the supervillains, but... He's not, not acting in a way to help anybody else except himself. It is a... And those he prefers. Right. It is a dark... I mean, uh, no, and wow, I mean, that it, that's very deep. The whole objectivism yeah, part, I right, mean... exactly. I mean, like I say, like, am I saying this is 100% it is? Well... No, no, but... <laughs> but, uh, but, but I say, like, when you look at it this way, you can see this was the deliberate choice that oh, they made. Oh, absolutely. About how they wanted the psychology of their clerk to be. So did they all want flawed? Was the plan of we're just going to have all flawed characters? Yes, it was. It was basically it was the feet of clay. It was basically yeah. like they cannot fathom, and this is this is a common problem with people who try to write Superman. They cannot fathom someone who is altruistic and wants things to be good, and is and is in nature good. Right. It's just like no, no. He has to be flawed and conflicted. It's like no, Superman is not. Batman. He's not damaged. He's not internally. He wants to do the right thing by nature. Well, and this is what about. Okay, so then that leads up to the Zod killing. So right. they say, well, Superman killed in the comics. 
Yeah, he did lots of the comics. He also did Super Ventriloquism, but you didn't put that in the movie. But their idea of morality, and this is what I wanted to talk to you about specifically, is he only learned he shouldn't kill after he kills someone. That was their thought. And I would like to remind the audience, let the jury <laughs> notice, Wait. that the same writer who wrote that scene is the one who wrote the scene on the tram in Gotham that said, I'm not going to kill you. But I don't have to save you. Like, this guy, David Goyer, is obsessed with superheroes killing. Because allowing someone to die is pretty much the well, same thing. Well, the same thing. It's, it's the same thing. So, I mean, yeah. So for this situation, they wanted to have that thing of like, oh, he has to learn not to kill by murdering someone. So they reverse justified. They're like, let's put him in a situation where he has to kill someone. And they re and they, ba- they cramp that scene and then wrote everything backwards to justify it. So it wasn't like they got to the end of their story. They're like, oh, no, it has to. this is the only way you can do it. No, they went, we have to get him to a point where he has to murder a dude. How are we going to do that? Okay, then we'll build it backwards. Oh. And that's, that's David Goyer basically said that on, I believe it was the Empire podcast when he talked about it. It was always there. Like, and, and that was actually, they had to go to Christopher Nolan and say, Batman's going to murder a guy. And Christopher Nolan was like, uh, no, he's not. And they had to convince him, no, this would be great. People love it. <laughs> And you know what? Well, it's they don't, and well, they're still angry. About okay, it. Like you're still talking about. And, and it. I, so, so this is this this is so this is my problem with Superman killing is Superman shouldn't need to kill because he's Superman. He can always find a way. Well, okay. Now, now let me say this: two things. First of all, that's really good. I mean, that no, that's a good analysis. Of that and and let me say that there are elements of this that yeah they don't fit the 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 religious narrative right i mean yes. like obviously i i mean it was being highly selective which is funny because what those flaws and i think are incredibly well articulated why would you then go all in on like the jesus thing if yeah. you're going to have those flaws i mean that's a real contradiction right, right? like right, i mean because like none of these things describe jesus yeah no that's like, all, all where's clark turning the other cheek yeah this is all <laughs> no this is all wrong that's all wrong right and yeah. and again and yes you 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 focus in on that and i and i and i i always think that's that scene where he's where where isn't it the scene like after he saves the kids on the school bus and the mm-hmm. woman the neighbor comes and she says oh this is providence or something and like yeah. and it's like well yeah but then you hear the conversation with his Step that, and you're like, what is happening? Anyway, yeah. here's my question: the killing when he kills Zod. Yeah, what would you have done? What would you? Okay, if you were going to have that situation play out, obviously the key answer is don't have it play out the way it did. But yeah. le- but but if you had it play out the way they had, what would you have done? Well, I mean, Superman has pretty much any power you want to give him, so. He could have been anything. He, I mean, he could have, he could have poked the guy's eyes out. I mean, like I mean, if you're gonna go if you're gonna go the brutal route, but flying up, flying down, you know, super spin. I mean, freeze breath. I mean, he can do all these things. Like, oh wait, they had established that. Well, so what? Like, you could have easily just as reverse justified that. You could have had him freeze Zod's face, and he can't. You know, I mean. There's it's it's Superman. Yeah. Like, I mean, we've seen him move planets. I mean, there's there's no limit to the amount of stuff they can do. It's only limited by the imagination of the writers. But then, do you do you see then? He used to be able to create a small duplicate of himself in the hand, in his hand, <sighs> a six inch version of Superman. Like the amount of powers that Superman has had, right? Is like the the list is unbelievably long. So they're only limited by by what they what serves the story, and this is the story that they wanted to serve. But do you now? Does it does is there a payoff? Like, I mean, this having him take this journey, this arc, and yes. obviously we're going to talk about this. Yes. Does it pay off? 
I well, I guess we're gonna see. I mean, like basically, they're but they're setting us up very deliberately. Right. So before we move on, to, and the, well, I'll have I have a sort of closing for this. But before we move on, there's there's a certain amount of like not my super hashtag not my Superman, and that's and you know okay fine. Right. But the thing is, there are lot because Superman is such a dominant force in culture. There are lots of analogs to this. So if you wanted to take Superman. And make him incredibly vain and raised by the state to be a super celebrity. Well, then you've got Homelander. Yeah, if you wanted to have yeah. it be that he is the, um, the like basically, okay, so how about if he came to Earth and he is actually the vanguard of an alien invasion fleet? The Kryptonians are coming and he's the first one here. Well, then you've got Ultraman. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you got Omni Man. Oh. If you want to make him like, what if he's just super evil? There's Ultraman. Well, what if he is. Let's what I I my my take on Superman is what if he um is like completely unmoored by morality because he was raised by the government and now he doesn't believe in the government. Well then that's Hyperion. I mean like there's all you have other characters who can do this kind of stuff. I mean because they've already been done. Well, so but you don't need to change this character because there are already characters out there who can do this kind of stuff and it's fine. Homelander murders people in the first episode. He like annihilates a dozen people. There you go. Then you've got your Superman now, killing people. Now, That's really right. what you want. Now, okay, and you we don't have to have Superman do it. Well, but now all those names you just mentioned don't have the pop don't have the pop culture resonance that Superman does. Right? True. Like I mean like so, so that's so it's like it's this, this is the bring down your idols. This is Do you know what's amazing? Like, no. I'm bring it, I'm bring uh, okay. Bring him bring him low. I hate I hate to I hate to pull this card. I did not think I was gonna pull this card, but I am <laughs> gonna pull this card on this one. It makes you realize what a lucky what lucky bastards over at Marvel they were to bring the Iron Man character full you know what I mean? Like Mm-hmm. You were able to to bring that character up to where that character could play that kind of role, like in different. Like you just had a better way to tell the story. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. So by the time you get to the end of Man of Steel, yeah. and you have Superman taking a drone and dropping it in front of the general, and being like, "You shouldn't be spying on me," and like, "Don't worry, I'll be around." I. As like the audience member, I'm like I'm terrified of that guy. I like I like I yeah. 100%. I'm like I don't trust him at all. I am terrified of the fact that there is a Superman out there who serves no country, can do whatever he wants, and is out there just indiscriminately destroying buildings and stuff too. Like it's he's not. I, I'm not. I didn't think anything heroic about him at all at the end. I was like, Ben, but I don't think that was a mistake <laughs> because. I'm not the only one that felt that way. Oh, right. Because as we get to our next movie, it turns out somebody else has the exact same thought processes. And so let's uh, let's listen in on a conversation between the two of them now. I am a man of justice. I am a man of might. I am a man of vengeance. I am a man of the night. <sighs> You're such a sycophantic sucker. How can you call yourself a man? You say you fight for truth and justice? I say you're working for the man, man. You line your mask with lead. But I can see into your soul. I see a scared little boy. Behind the cape and the cow. Fuck you, I'm gonna kick your ass. Fuck you, I'm taking you 
the man You've got to beat the man I'm gonna show you what it means to be a man, man So <laughs> My god <laughs> That was from Holy Musical Batman by the brilliant geniuses over at Starkid. Uh, and if you're a Batman fan, if you're a Superman fan, if you're just a fan of really good musicals, it's on YouTube streaming for free. Oh. And I highly recommend it. Uh, it's, obviously, it's for adults, as I hope we all are here. Uh, but <laughs> it's really, really funny. Man of Steel comes out and is a moderate success. It has yeah. controversy and stuff, too. But a bunch of people go to see it all around the world because it's a big Superman movie. And, you know, there's, there's a certain thing that goes along with if there's a new Superman movie, you should go see it. Um, and so people did. Uh, and it was enough that they justified a sequel. So they started developing it. But just one sequel isn't enough. Oh, no. Not when you look over across at the uh, at the other side of the aisle and you see that this whole universe is forming and everybody's loving going on there. So in October of 2014, DC announces the DC Extended Universe. So they, put, they announce a slate of 10 movies that are going to come out over the next couple years and do it. So here's the list that in October 2014 they said was going to happen. So the first movie they said was not, in fact, Man of Steel 2, but was now Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice. And that would be followed by Suicide Squad, an adaptation of a team of supervillains who work for the government. That would also arrive in 2016. In 2017, we would have Wonder Woman, who was going to debut in Batman vs. Superman. In 2017, after Wonder Woman, would also be Justice League Part 1. In 2018, we would get the Flash movie starring Ezra Miller. He would also be showing up for the first time in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Uh, in 2018, we would have Aquaman starring Jason Momoa and Stop if you've heard this one. He would also be showing up for the first time in Batman v Superman, John of Justice. In 2019, we would get Shazam, the movie, starring Dwayne Johnson as Black Adam. In 2019, we would find Justice League Part 2. And then in 2020, we would get Cyborg, starring Ray Fisher who would also be making his debut in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And then in 2020, a nine years after their first attempt, we would get the Green Lantern movie. Oh, jeez. <laughs> when was this? When did this? When was this announcement made? That was made in October of 2014. Now, perspective. Th that would be two months after the release of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And that's when they probably realized we're a mess because yeah. you're okay. Think about this. Your guardians of the galaxy comes out. That's that followed uh, captain America, the winter soldier, Thor, the dark world. We don't have to talk about that. Yeah. Iron, Iron man three, which made yeah. has its faults, but made a ton of money. Right. Aside from Thor, Thor, the dark world, which made a bunch of money. Right. Marvel's on a hot streak. Yes. I mean, yes. Like, everywhere that comes out is like beloved and making a ton of money. They've already had the full Avengers. This is and then and you knew Age of Ultron is in production. So like they felt obviously they felt incredibly pressured. They wanted to put all the ingredients in the blender. They wanted to hit puree. They <laughs> they yeah, just they wanted, wanted it. They wanted the MCU and they wanted it now. <laughs> they wanted like to get to get into this this business immediately. God. And it's interesting because like I said Man of Steel even when it came out was not Beloved was not highly regarded. It, I mean, it did decent, but everybody who sort of came out was like, "Yeah, okay, 
Like, yeah, uh, interesting. Right. And interesting. It, it was sort right. of like upon this rock you will build your church. Yeah. Oh. oh, oh yeah. Okay. No, that's sand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's all yeah, sand. No, 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 no. Space Seal is a little bit shifting sand. No, uh, that's. But uh, that was their intention, uh, and so we did get some of those movies. Obviously, we did get Suicide Squad. We got Wonder Woman at the time. We got a Justice League movie, which you know, obviously we're going to talk about that. The Flash movie has still not shown up. I believe they are on their on their yeah. fifth set of directors. Yeah. Uh, Aquaman did show up a little later than they thought. Shazam did show up. Justice League Part 2 never happened. Cyborg movie is definitely not going to happen. And the Green Lantern movie, I believe, is now scuttled because there is now a Green Lantern television series that's going to be on oh. HBO Max. Oh, well, there you go. So Man of Steel 2 was in development. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. What is the sequel to Man of Steel? And the more they talked about it, the more they realized, yeah, it'd be kind of cool to bring Batman into this. <laughs> and so that idea got bigger and bigger, and they sort of couldn't let it go. And then so it... That became Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, uh, and so they brought in a brand new writer to help uh, David Goyer to sort of vision this. Uh, someone who they thought could handle like a big ensemble things. Uh, his name is Chris Terrio. Uh, do you know what else Chris Terrio is most famous for writing? What is he most famous for writing? Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, as, as oh. much anticipation, including some major, major uh, hype that built out of San Diego Comic-Con, in March 19th, 2016, we got to see Batman v Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice. Rob, would you be so kind as to synopsize that movie for us? All right, here we go. Uh, flashback, Batman is born in an alley in Gotham. Might I add, actually, one of the most comic-inspired versions of this, but I digress. Uh, 18 months after the battle between Zod and Superman, Bruce Wayne is concerned that Superman sucks. However, Clark, having learned about Batman's form of justice, thinks Batman sucks. Little do they know, Lex Luthor thinks they both suck and wants them to agree. The game is afoot where political sabotage ends up with Diana Prince, yes, that Diana Prince, stealing meta-human data, Bruce stealing kryptonite, and Superman stealing hope by allowing Congress to be destroyed by a bomb. Batman is ready to take on Superman, Luther takes Martha Kent and Lois, and Diana tries to take a plane somewhere else. But don't worry, Superman and Batman fight, they realize they have the same mom, Batman goes to save Martha while Superman goes to break the neck of Lex. Luther's, Luther's got a backup plan. Lex has made a crazy abomination from the corpse of Zod and Kryptonian science. It looks like doomsday for all our characters. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm -hmm. Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. By the way, Wonder Woman, who's really pissed off an entire plane of fellow passengers because they were leaving, <laughs> and she was just like, I gotta go! Oh, Sorry! You that guy. <laughs> You're that person! Um... <laughs> They take on they take on the monster and they win, though not without losing Superman. Superman is buried. Clark Kent is buried. Ah, but fortunately, Clark Kent's open casket wake is next to a window of his childhood home, where rays from a yellow sun begin a resurrection process that we see the beginning elements of as Lois Lane drops dirt on his coffin and the particles begin to levitate. And that's it. All right. <laughs> of course, you don't forget Skybeam. Skybeam. <laughs> I mean, well, one one minor point. They 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 what? have they have the same. Their mothers have the same oh, name. No, same I was being stupid. I was <laughs> okay. being stupid. No, I know they're not the same. It's a very very important no, point. No, I was. It, let me just say something. 
emotionally they have the same mother because that's yeah. kind of what they said which we'll get into why that's ridiculous and was destroyed yeah. in a later movie <laughs> but whatever no i know now i didn't use and i could have put in a little bit more about there's a director's cut that goes a lot yes. deeper into an african yeah, subplot yeah. i didn't get into that right. i was like yeah yeah so yeah well so we, can, we can talk about that too because okay so just to put my cards on the table, I do not like Man of Steel. I, I, I actually hope I never have to watch it again. I did not watch it in terms of this. I just uh, But I really like Batman v Superman yeah. Dawn of Justice. And especially, I really like what's called the Ultimate Edition, which is the director's cut. Right. Uh, I watched it. I did watch it again in t- anticipation of this podcast. And I really enjoyed it again. Like, it, it is very, very Zack Snyder, which is like right. a lot of serious people being serious and slow-mo and uh, and all this stuff and, and like a lot of really important people being really important nobody smiles i mean like it's very you know everything is grim and serious but it's fine it, it works for the story that he's telling i think mostly it works for me on an emotional level because i am 100 percent in batman's corner like <laughs> as far as i'm concerned batman is the hero of this story and superman is the villain because like all the way through i am with Batman and all of his concerns uh, and his worries about what now obviously um, we learn that they're both being manipulated by both ends and then that becomes much clearer the the depths of the machinations when you see the, the director's cut um, but uh, I, I I still really really enjoy it even for uh, as as pretentious as it can be yes uh, and then we start to understand the the differences because because of the way that Man of Steel was set up then it's very easy to dislike this Superman because he's not like the, you know, jovial, happy kind of guy. Um, So uh, as as they go through, um, you are very much like, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Bruce Wayne is actually onto something. Maybe he's not just being a paranoid guy. Like maybe he's really on something. Uh, the, The weirdest part to me of this movie is not Lex Luthor, but is Diana Prince. Like, I don't get what she's actually doing. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. she finds out Lex has a picture of her, and that's her whole motivation for the movie is finding this picture. Like, oh, okay. Like, why? Why is that that important to you? Because like, uh, it's the internet age. Like, if he scans it, then everybody can have it. So yeah, I mean, there's no way around it, right? Matter? And the thing is, she doesn't get the picture. Like, that's the whole thing. Her whole quest. She has one quest in this movie is to get this picture back, and she doesn't get it back. Batman gets it back and gives it to her in another movie. Right. It's it's so weird. I, like, her... I mean, I understand this was her first thing, and they were setting it up for the thing, and that's fine. We'll talk about Wonder Woman, the movie, when we get there. But her in this movie does not jibe with any other well, Wonder Woman thing that we've seen. Because, I mean, she's tacked on. She's, yes. she's, oh, absolutely. She's tacked on. I mean, no, I mean, that's look, here's the thing. I, I agree with you 100%. I actually enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I remember seeing it twice in the weekend it came out. Mm, okay. Because I really enjoyed it, even with the length. Yeah, I saw, I was there opening weekend. Yeah. I remember, like, very, I, I, I like to see things on opening weekends, you know, back when <laughs> we could actually go to movies. Right. Um, and I did see an opening weekend. And uh, I, I even remember the crowd being like, huh. <laughs> yeah, and I exactly. You know, like, I mean, I I remember I like I, I have the, there's only a couple movies that like the audience has been a huge part of it, like a, a right. lot of Star Wars movies, right? And yeah, I, I can tell you you know stories about seeing different Marvel movies and, and sure. Star Wars movies and that kind of stuff. But like this one, I just remember being in the movie theater and seeing and and like there's I mean like yeah, ooh, I mean there's a lot of like you know we're all excited because you know we're at midnight and we're right. all excited and stuff too. And it was just over the course of the movie, it's just it's just sort of like. Yeah, it's just like the diminishing. You just sort of get to like this this median place where you're like, 
Yeah. It's three hours. Yeah. It's the three. It's, three it's the runtime. It really is a grueling, a grueling time. You, this is not a movie uh, you see at your emotions. Yeah, though. you don't see this movie at midnight. No, no. But, but but I'll tell you this: the reason why I love. I really enjoyed this movie is because it was something that you never thought you'd see. You never thought you'd see the Frank Miller comic really brought to life in this way. Yeah, and I got to sure. say, I love Ben Affleck's Batman. Yeah, I really do, too. I, I, yeah. I was uh, on a show talking about Daredevil, uh, and I was saying like he was he was not uh, the perfect casting of Daredevil, but for this Batman, I think he's great. Yes. I, I mean, I really think that he gives it his all. I think, okay, so... I've taken some shots at Zack Snyder, and I, and and no. you know, and fair enough. But I will say he is great with actors. He treats them very well. He is excellent at casting, and they come back. Yeah, that's the thing. He did, like a lot. Of, I mean, as, as we're as we're gonna find out, some directors really alienate actors. But like the same people come through. Like he's he met uh, Carla Gugino uh, when he did Sucker Punch. Mm. She's the voice of the computer in Batman v Superman: John Justice. She did like an almost uncredited role, uh, and she's freaking Carla Gugino just because she's friends with Zack Snyder and and she really had a good time working with him. I mean, like the the cast has nothing bad to say about it. Because, I mean, like as, as much as people like you know, Zack Snyder and even I've you know taken my shots and stuff too, he puts together a great film right like he, he he shoots it well he well casts it great special effects like he i mean like there are issues i have with him but like never that yeah i mean like he he's the one who cast gal gadot right or is it gal gadot gal gadot gal gadot, gal gadot. yeah so i was thinking from the play gal gadot so he he went gal gadot that's her yeah like he's the one that cast her and so and we're all the better for it well and we've not and we've not talked about um amy adams is is a perfectly great Lois Lane. I think yeah. she's done a really nice job with it. We I won't... love Amy Adams. Yes. So it's like I bring that love with me into it. Right. Is she the best Lois? Eh, I don't know. But I mean, she is a, a very, very good actress and right. does well with what she's given, which isn't a whole lot. Except but for in this movie, except, nobody really gets a whole lot. Well, but she was. They they had to do that bathtub scene. Let's just. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, no, sure. That was yeah. know, unnecessary. <laughs> Yeah, because right, this is a Superman who gets busy. Yeah, this is not. I mean, come on. I even now I agree. That's not anyway. So, so I mean, obviously there's there's Cassie. But we don't need to talk. I mean, basically, I'll say first film appearances for Aquaman, Flash, Cyborg. Um, they'll, they'll obviously they'll they'll we'll have more to say about them as they, because right. they're only in the movie for a couple minutes. I mean, like it's. I know the. Uh, the pitch meeting uh, for Batman Superman is really funny because they talk about the one thing we you know what's one thing we've never seen superheroes do, emailing. So we're gonna have a big emailing sequence, and, <laughs> and so that's what it's like. It's weird that that's how they introduce them, but okay, yeah. uh, all right. Fine. I mean, each of the little vignettes are pretty cool, uh, so we get a little tease uh, of what we're gonna see. So before we we move on off of this. Um, I really want to talk about Lex Luthor. I really love Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor. I think he's great. I just every time he's on screen, I like I, I like the idea of a super genius, super awkward guy. Like he he is completely amoral. Right. He has basically like almost like social anxiety because he doesn't know how to deal with normal people. He has all these plans and machinations, and he has a one hundred percent. He has a definite agenda. Like. He sees the problem coming, and he manipulates all these pieces along the board. Now, people will say, like, oh, his plan's ridiculously convoluted. And I'm like, I think he's not as much of a gamesman. I think he's mostly like, let's just push a bunch of stuff and see what happens. Oh, like, <laughs> I don't get them his, as he's like, 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 oh, yeah, I want to do this. Like, 
they, they made a big thing of um, he does all this stuff to try and get the government to let him bring the the kryptonite, even though they don't say it at the time, over, like to officially have it come over. And they're like, he's looks at there, he's a criminal. Why can't he just do that? And he's like, yeah, he absolutely could. He could pay somebody to just smuggle it in. But his point is to try and get the government on his side. Right. So like he's trying to have the the legitimacy of the government behind him to do all these things. And when it doesn't go his way, he blows them all up. Yeah. <laughs> he's diabolical. Okay. He's diabolical. He's, he is yeah. diabolical. And he's yeah. he's completely uncaring about anybody, people. And I, I just. I, I love it. I love it. It's it's such a different take on like I mean we saw you know um, he who must not be named do basically his version of Gene Hackman right and it was like uh, okay yeah I kind of see that I mean like there's been some really good lexes Michael Rosenbaum is a great lex yeah you know it turns out John Cryer it turns out is a fantastic yeah. Lex Luthor all different I do it and I I think he gets I think Jesse Eisenberg gets a lot of crap for this and I I I don't understand why I guess the same thing thing like you know. All you people who, you know, raved about Men of Steel, how could you be mean to Jesse? <laughs> I think he's great. I'm, I hope he shows up in the in the four-hour cut. I, I don't know that he will. Um, it also is a little weird that, like, when you go to prison, they don't just shave your head. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a whole scene. I'm like, that's not something. Unless there's a lot of lice in that prison. Yeah. I don't know why they would ever <laughs> shave his head there, but. Um, oh boy. Okay, so so okay, so what what did uh, what does this set up for the future then? So like the how do we leave the world? Well, Superman's dead, ish. We got Wonder Woman is is back in the game. Like she's she's been out of circulation for a while. So but now she is involved. Batman is assembling heroes. Oh, I guess I shouldn't use that word. The bell has been rung. Ding ding. Oh ding, yeah. Ding ding ding. Because we saw, especially in, I believe it's in the uh, extended cut. Um, Lex Luthor is in the ship communicating with someone. And so, like, we see, like, a, a guy with a, a gigantic, ridiculous helmet. Um, and so that will be important later. Yeah, so we, I think we spent a lot of time on Man of Steel, so I'm not going to spend more time on this. It's a, I, I really think it's a, it's a very, very good movie. Um, and I'm curious to see how we go. There. And, so, and with the direction, it is almost three hours. So oh, like, yeah. people said, oh, it's a four-hour Justice League. I'm like, well, that's only an hour more than <laughs> the extended cut of there. But uh, before we... Um, get into like the superhero machinations and what's coming and the big thing. We have to talk about a love story. the greatest love story of our age harley quinn and joker uh so that was suicide squad parody by the hillywood show uh available on youtube uh streaming for free go watch that uh get it for the, the clicks uh also there's a huge production number that goes along with it too so i mean i just gave you that one little piece of it but basically it starts out with them on motorcycles and they're in the club and they're dancing and i mean it's it's they go full out uh it's it's pretty amazing uh so uh david Iyer. Uh, in the 2004, September 2014, was hired to write and direct The Suicide Squad. Oh, I'm sorry. 
Suicide Squad. Yeah. <laughs> the the definite article becomes very important here. Uh, he described the film to Empire Line as the Dirty Dozen with supervillains. But because they had already set the the release date, uh, he basically uh, had six weeks to write the screenplay and then start shooting. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a mad scramble. So as we sort of know all the people that uh, sort of got hired in, but one thing I thought was interesting when I read about the casting was Tom Hardy was originally Rick Flagg. Oh. But because he was still shooting the Revenant, the Revenant apparently has a notoriously like a long, arduous shoot. It went on and on, and he had to drop out because of that. And so they brought in uh, uh, Joel Kinnaman, a uh, star of uh, From Mankind, uh, available on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, so he, he, he dropped in. So on August 5th, 2016, uh, we were... We sat down and watched the Dirty Dozen Supervillains, Suicide Squad. Rob, would you be so kind as to give us a synopsis of Suicide Squad? Okay, here we go. One year after Superman's death, intelligence officer Amanda Waller convinces the U.S. government to create Task Force X, a team of supervillains. Too bad the first one she picked is a cursed pirate named Davy Jones, whose only weakness is his heart encased in a box. <laughs> Hold up. Sorry. <laughs> a demonic witch called Enchantress, who's only weak. Anyway, never mind. The witch goes ballistic, takes over Midway City, and Harley Quinn, with the help of uh, from Task Force X members, has to stop her. They do, sort of. The Joker shows up, too. Poor Harley. It's complicated. Bruce Wayne is working on a team or something. <laughs> That's it. That's true. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> Batman does show up. In yes, this movie. like Batman, he's still out there and working. Like in the in the first, you know, what ten minutes of the movie, right? Like there's Ben Affleck as Batman in this this movie. Um, so the yeah, it was it was the movie that dealt with the world uh, post Superman. Oh, and I almost forgot to mention Skybeam. Yeah. <laughs> so this is so the Task Force X was created because uh, Amanda Waller realized that with Superman gone, there is a a power vacuum. And so, like, they have less people to defend the country. Was there been doing a whole lot of defending of the country? Uh, all right. I don't yeah. know what, uh, like, that Harley Quinn and Killer Croc fill a Superman-sized hole. I've... But uh, you got to use what you got, I guess. Right. So the movie came out, um, the preview came out, and people went kind of crazy for it uh, because it was clearly inspired by Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, so much so that apparently they hired the people who did the trailer to go back in and recut the movie after David Hire. <laughs> so there's a very notorious uh, like uh, behind-the-scenes machinations that happened that uh, did not... Uh, end up getting a cohesive thing. So David Iyer has long said that he has a different cut of movie, and so now there is a small movement of release the Iyer cut out there. Uh, and I think that would probably be the best thing for you know maybe a twenty twenty two thing for HBO Max. Well, I was going to say subscriptions start to lag, you know start to lag. You know, we we got to see how uh, how the subscriptions do in the next uh, sixty days. Yeah, yeah, and so but what we are starting to see uh, is that the Warner Brothers executives are not really very happy about the where Zack Snyder is going with things. Yeah. So apparently this was supposed to be really closely tied to uh, Batman v Superman and they have they started they now started pulling away. They realized that the audience did not respond to Batman v Superman as much as they thought that they would. Uh, apparently, merchandise sales were were way down, uh, which is a big big deal in the Batman and Superman thing. Uh, and uh, the fans were sort of grumbling about it, so they started making changes. So one of the big changes was um, 
someone uh, he's written, uh, Dave Iyer has been very open about this, which I, I find uh, very refreshing. Uh, they said to him about you have the enchantress, enchantress. who has this six thousand year old thing in her, and she builds a a machine. What's that about? And so David Iyer actually said on Twitter it was supposed to be a boom tube as she was under control of a mother box. But all the apocalypse elements were stripped out late in the game. The machine concept was an attempt to create a ticking clock and a world threat. So it really was supposed to be setting up apocalypse, mother box, all these things. Like to set up directly what we're going to see in in Justice League. But all that was put out to try and have it be completely on its own. Wait, that would have made so much more sense. It would have made so much more sense. I mean, apparently there was more Joker, there was more Batman, like all this stuff was was much more tied into Batman v Superman, but they wanted to distance themselves from that movie to try and like and do the sort of soft reboot that we're going to see uh, in the DC. Oh, so is this is this them their their course correction is we got to be more like the MCU? I think so. I mean, I think they tried. I mean, and because we yeah. saw like the, the because the montage of introducing the Suicide Squad in the movie is very Marvel-esque, but none of the rest of the movie is. Yeah. Like, they try to do, like, that part, and then the rest of the movie goes in a very different direction. So I, I'm I'm fully in the camp of release the Iron Cut. Like, I really would like to see what yeah, his oh, totally. were. It's, it, the movie itself is, is decent. Like, that, Margot Robbie is fantastic. I mean, there's some really... Uh, there's some really, really good performances in there, some not-so-great performances, yeah. and then it really just ends up being, you know, this group of people, that none of whom you like, except maybe Harley Quinn, fighting a bunch of... Uh, somebody referred to them as berry heads at some point because <laughs> their heads got these weird speckle things on them. And it's just another monster doing... Yeah. the world with a sky beam and eh, okay it's it's incredibly forgettable and i'll tell you it's it's the the takeaway from this is is that wow when you if you have an, if you have an actor or actress that just yeah. blows the doors off their performance which is what happened with margot robbie in this because yeah. my god she spawned her own movie from this right, right. like then like that's the that's the only reason you need to watch this movie exactly yeah i mean that's uh, it also oddly uh this is the only dceu movie to win an oscar it actually won for best makeup and hairstyle design. What? I know. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, so uh, from one powerful woman, let's talk about the other powerful woman. Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. You knew I had to do it. That's awesome. <laughs> of course, that was for the Wonder Woman television series. So they've been they've been trying to make a movie... For Wonder Woman since 1996, and the names that have attached to it were people like Sandra Bullock, Mariah Carey, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Lucy Lawless, Kate Beckinsale, Angelina Jolie, even Joss Whedon wrote a Wonder Woman script. If you uh, if you do some uh, clicky clacking of the keys over at YouTube, you can find a group of people actually did a a uh, in person script read of his script, and it is problematic. <laughs> uh, but it's it's worth checking out if you're curious on. So in 2015, they signed Patty Jenkins uh, to be the director. Uh, and so, Rob, would you tell us about the Wonder Woman movie? So uh, modern day Diana Prince gets a gift from Bruce Wayne that brings back multiple memories of Diana's. There's uh, the oh, I always say this wrong. Thermoscara. Themyscira. Okay. Her mother, her mentor, her powers. And then one day in 1918, a U.S. pilot crash lands on the shores of their hidden paradise. Germans show up. A fight ensues. Diana is prepared to break all her people's rules to go into the broken world of men because Steve Trevor is really, really fine. 
Oh, and also Ares. And, Ares, and of course he is, because everybody thinks that. And Ares, the god of war, was jealous of the creation of mankind and is messing it all up. So Diana, Steve, and a ragtag band of special ops dudes go on an explosive adventure as if it were 1917. Uh, <laughs> not before having what is probably one of the greatest full superhero introductions ever in the history of comic book cinema. We will talk about that scene. Turns yeah. out the dude who is the head of the Allied Countries Warrant Council, who looks like Remus Lupin, is Ares, <laughs> and he stopped, albeit with the heartbreaking loss of one Steve Trevor. Back to current day, Diana considers the gift from her new Steve and knows love will save the world. Oh. The end. I gotta tell you, well, yeah, and yeah. this is a great movie. I mean, I, I mean, we oh, can yeah, just say yeah. this, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But right. but I I think it is interesting that. There is they they did was it intentional that they teased the flirtations between Bruce Wayne and Diana Prince? Yeah, I mean, I, it was that was a little unusual, but I mean, I guess to show that Bruce Wayne is Bruce Wayne. Well, and because and because in this in this in the DCEU as this was unfolding, yeah. Superman's taken. Yes, he's not he's not he's not open. Like because if you follow the comic book, obviously there's been other things, right? Like yeah. I just find that interesting because there's, there's, I mean, this was clearly like he sends the little present and it unlocks uh-huh. this whole story. I'm like, wow, that I am amazed at how important Batman is to this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which I even, mean is, there's not in it. Yeah. He's not even in it. Like, what's yeah. the deal with that? Anyway. Oh, wait, before we go further, Rob, Skybeam. Oh my God. No. Wait. <laughs> Well, I mean, there is the big white light, but there's yeah. the big electricity thing. But the, yeah, this guy. Um, so yeah, so that. let's. Uh, so um, yeah, I absolutely love this movie. I think this sure. is the best of the, all of these movies. Yes, um, yes. I think it stands on its own. You don't need to have seen any of the rest of the stuff. It, totally. Actually, it's so good that it it makes how what they had established for her character in Batman v Superman really ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that like. It's like she had this amazing. She's fantastic, and she's amazing, and she's flawed, and she's learning, and she's you know noble, and and like has to make these hard decisions, and then like, you know, the guy she knew for a week dies, and so she goes into seclusion for ninety. Yeah, years. it's. T- I mean, really what? seriously, she gave up her entire way of life, all of it, for all the dude. tradition. I mean, for a dude. Again, Chris Pine, but okay, but yeah. okay, and then. In a matter of what a few weeks, mm-hmm. loses him and then gives it all up. Like, yeah. wow! I, I will tell you, like that is the th- that not of this movie, but of the overall arc. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's your Superman. Yeah. That's your Man of Steel. Like weirdness. Like, what is going on yeah. here? Yeah, yeah, it makes no sense for her at all. The character we see in this, or the right. character we saw in there. Like, well, you're just you're just like a <laughs> an archaeologist now. Like, yeah. That's- no. Okay. I was uh, digging around to find out what Patty Jenkins thought of Gal, because like, because uh, she basically inherited her. So like, the, so there, I found an article uh, that talked about it. So they said, let's talk a bit about Gal. You inherited her from Zack Snyder. Was it difficult to not get to choose your own Wonder Woman? And what is it about Gal that makes her such a good fit? So Patty Jenkins says, I remember when I read in the news that Wonder Woman had been cast, and my heart sank. I'm sure we wouldn't have made the same choice. And then I started paying attention to her and watching her and looking at her, and it was just 
unbelievable. Frankly, I think they did a better job than I could have because I don't know that I would have scoured the earth as hard to find her. They were looking for all the same things I would have looked for, all the values that Wonder Woman stands for, exuding from someone in an honest way, and boy, did they find it. She shares every quality with Wonder Woman, and that's no joke. It's one of those rare things. You need someone who can appear to be Wonder Woman on screen. Every once in a while, there's a superhero casting that transcends because the person is so authentic to the character that it becomes identified with them, like Linda Carter or Christopher Reeve. And I would 100% agree. I, I, was, I was just about to say exact every word. Every yes. word is spot on. That is absolutely true. Yes. Yeah. I, like, like, I can't even think of Wonder Woman without thinking of Gal now. No. She is, she is that character. And for all nothing but good stuff. I mean, well, we won't talk about the sequel, but that's another Yeah, well, yeah. That's not continuity. That's not continuity. What we're talking about here. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Ready for, but, for justice. But I'm going to tell you, like, I mean, really, she is. And from the from the first moment you see her in this, like, no, yeah. it's, uh, wow. I mean, what makes it? Yeah, and, I, and, I'd say I, I, we could just talk for an hour about how great this movie is just in every, I mean, every the every piece of casting, every yes. decision they made. The setting in World War One is brilliant. Dr. Yes. Poison is brilliant. I, yes. Yeah, I love, love, love this movie. Uh, and then it ends, obviously, with her on the parapet, like, ready to answer the call for action. Right. And okay. And I want to go back and just say the, the sequence in the middle, in the middle part of the movie where she reveals herself as truly wonder woman, as you know, her on the Mm -hmm. battlefield, when they're trying to make grounds to, to get to where they're going. That is, I mean, we talk all the time on our other show about the MCU and it's, and it's seminal moments. Yeah. I dare say that is the DCEU's top moment. Yeah, I'm not sure of of all of these modern movies like that is the scene that is so well orchestrated, well scored, well shot. No, it's it goosebumps every time. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, then obviously now that we have these these people together, then obviously it's time to bring them all together in the great hall of the justice league there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes well created from the may, cosmic well, legends of the maybe universe. not four okay uh, i mean <laughs> but um so we all know the characters now we know wonder woman superman batman flash aquaman martian manhunter green lantern um and well, of course, we know the character, the actors who are famous for playing them: Common, Hugh Keysburn, Santiago Cabrera, Adam Brody, DJ Catrona, Megan Gale, and of course, starring as Batman, Arnie Hammer. Yeah, that's right. I'm talking about Justice League Mortal from 2008, the movie that didn't get made. So the first Justice League movie was this, directed by George Miller, and this movie got really freaking close. Yes, I mean, like they were. Costumes. Fitting. They were yes. building sets. They were in Australia. They were. This movie was going to happen, uh, and then through various circumstances and writer strike and all that stuff, the whole thing just fell apart and it went away. But like, it was really, really close. Uh, and it's and it's amazing the amount of people like the the, the young people who are out there and the fact that just <laughs> Army Hammer as Batman still just like blows my mind. But Common, uh, you know, the the rapper known as Common was going to be Green Lantern. Like that's a great piece of casting. Yeah, Adam Brody is the Flash. I mean, that's that's really cool too. Yeah, but it's it was one of those uh, things that it was almost there, uh, and it just uh, all fell apart. I think that's that's a it's a that's a fascinating story in and of itself. But for real, then in April 2014, Zack Snyder uh, was announced uh, he would be directing Justice League script, uh, and they were bringing on uh, Chris Terrio to write it. 
Uh, and so uh, they announced it would be in two parts, part one in November of 2017 and part two uh, in a couple of years later. Uh, so they, um, they he, Zack Snyder said the film would be inspired by the New Gods comic from Jack Kirby, which is great. It would be split into two parts. But then, uh, see, by the time we get to the filming of this, uh, Warner Brothers is having some cold feet. Uh, they're not liking what they're seeing. They're not liking the way Zack Snyder's doing. They're not liking the super serious approach. They're not liking what's what he's going where he's going the with whole this. thing <laughs> yeah like all as he's shooting it there they're, apparently that it, it got we're like we're now learning much more about the behind scenes. like we it was sort of a very close set kind of thing we just we didn't hear anything but now people are talking and so the warner brothers executives actually convened a council of creatives and sent them to the set to just you know hang around so people like alan heinberg seth graham smith uh andrea burloff and uh, Joss Whedon were sent down, and they were just hanging out as you're filming, you know, just throwing in ideas, which is something directors love. <laughs> oh, my God. And so like, so Joss was there, like, sort of, like, over Zack Snyder's shoulder as he was shooting all of this stuff. Uh, and then, of course, okay, so I know we've had some fun, but now serious tragedy sure. strikes. May of 2017, Zack Snyder's daughter dies. And so I'm not going to make any jokes anything about this this is a serious matter no, she yeah. unfortunately committed suicide so i know that they've done the people who were behind the snyder cut campaign have done a lot to raise money for that um i think it was, i think it's fantastic uh it is a horrible thing so like any of the stuff we're talking about here is under the guise of a terrible terrible thing that happened to zach snyder the story we were told was because of this tragedy zach snyder has decided to step away from the film and they have brought in Joss Whedon to finish his film and sit out there. And so that's what we thought had happened. So, Rob, would you give us a synopsis of the movie that we actually saw in theaters? <sighs> Steppenwolf, Parademons, Mother Boxes, Cyborg, Flash, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Batman, Frankenstein. Uh, and, and the Russian family. I wasn't even going to go there. No, <laughs> but and and I'm not done. Bruce Wayne left Martha Kent to die broke and broken. That's bullshit. <laughs> yes. Lex Luthor, and jail, bad stuff's coming. The end. <laughs> Skybeam. Skybeam. Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly what, how much that movie deserves. Right? So, <laughs> so, so, movie comes out of that, that should be it, but that should be that. That should be the but end of that. it wasn't, because... What we have now learned is that that's not what was going on. So what we learned is that uh, uh, horrible, horrible tragedy. You know, Zack Snyder is just right. a wreck. I mean, his family is just, like, despondent over this. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. And the Warner Brothers are like, okay, so you're coming back. Like, you're finishing the movie, right? Like, you're going to do the job. And they're still coming at him about changes. Make it funnier. Make it smaller. Make it lighter. Right. And, and now we reveal that he's actually said... He just got tired of the fight. Yeah, like he fully intended. He and his wife, who is his producer partner, has produced all of his movies. Um, wanted to come back and do this stuff, but he just did not have the emotional strength, the the executive function, and, and those who lived through this last year know exactly how that feels. I just don't have it in me, uh, and so he basically just gave up. Like I like I can't I can't do this anymore. Like this is just me. So he gave up on the film. So he. They, he did not have them fire him. He stepped away to, to prevent that and then let it go on. And then 
everybody got disappointed. Like, <laughs> and then it just everything went terrible. So we then learned that when Joss Whedon came in, he wrote 80 pages of new script and had to shoot all of it in three months. Uh, apparently, he like it, it wasn't just that 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 the cast did not like all the changes that were being made. Apparently, things got really, really bad. And to quote Ray Fisher, Joss Whedon's onset treatment of the cast and crew of Justice League was gross, abusive, unprofessional, and completely unacceptable. And Gal Gadot and Jason Momoa have both said, yeah, yeah Ray is not wrong. Mm. Uh, and uh. the rest of the cast has remained silent. Yeah. Nobody has uh, stood... I mean, like, I would say there, there's, there's a lot of... A lot of he said, she said. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of sure, stuff going sure. on. So we can't really get into all of that stuff. Well, I think we should. And, and no, because guess why? Here's the other reason why. Slander. There's laws against that, and you don't want to get into that. Like, hey, right. people don't, don't know. We don't know what happened. We don't know, but right? I'm I'm of the mind of let's believe Ray Fisher and go from there. Right. Uh, but that's for the lawyers to decide, unfortunately. But the one last controversy we need to touch on before we move on is mustache gate because (laughs) by the time they got everybody back together again henry cavill was already shooting mission impossible where he had grown a very large mustache well they brought him back for superman but paramount would contractually would not let him shave the mustache off because they would need him for reshoots afterwards and they demanded to say so they had to cgi out his mustache can of I, all of his Superman shots in, in, in Justice League. Okay, in, in, and if you don't know about this, you can, there's there was stories all over the place. But 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 but, well, but I want to say this though. There's two things that yeah. just blow my mind about this. Number one, what dicks, right? Yes. Like everybody, because because guess why? Henry Cavill's is a strapping young man. I am sure yeah. his facial hair grows back speedily. Like yeah, or it was or just a well, well, studio pissing. I mean, what a dick move. Because guess what? Uh-huh. It's not that hard for a good, high-quality person who makes applications for faces for for film to make a mustache to fill in until his mustache grows back. So if the problem was scheduling, that should have been a problem. It's entirely more insane to say, no, you can't shave the mustache, digitally take it out, and then, okay, and then if that isn't bad enough, dude, you 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 could have paid someone's nephew... Like five hundred bucks <laughs> yeah, and some Mountain Dew with a deep yeah. fake with some deep fake software and done a better job yeah. than what they did. They're actually people have gone in and deep faked it over the I, the mustache thing and it looks so much better. It's I, I just don't understand and, I, and wait <laughs> I and, find it so unbelievably petty and, and that it's just enjoyable to me. I, I just want to say this just a couple things about this movie is that because yeah. this is all that's worth saying as far as I'm concerned. I remember going into this my wife and daughter we had incredibly high expectations. I'll never yeah. forget us both looking at each other when it was over and saying, well, I'm never going to watch this movie again. Like, literally, that was it. Now, there are two scenes that I still are that are you can still see. The one is the scene where the Flash is running around Clark. Yes. And, yes. and Clark the, sees him. Superman sort of resurrection. Okay, thing. yes. The, okay. The best. The, I, and I believe that is the, that is like the 20% of... Of Zack Snyder's original film that was okay. retained into Justice League. That is good. And I'm going to say this. I don't know about this scene, but I always love the scene where Aquaman is sitting on the lasso <laughs> and is talking honestly. I just always think that's very funny. But yeah. can I tell you, though, I, I alluded to it. One of the most ridiculous things is that you had an entire movie based around Clark and 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 Bruce Wayne's connection of their mother. 
And yeah. you're telling me that one of the main plot points of this movie is, is that uh, uh, Martha Kent's hit bad time. She's going to lose the farm. Bruce Wayne forgot about her after uh-huh. he spent an entire third act in the, in another movie <laughs> saving her. That is yeah. such garbage. Yeah. I don't know how that was allowed to do, but here's my other, my last thing I'm going to say about this movie. Yeah. The biggest problem with it, the title. <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if I've ever told you this. No, I don't think so. They had a, they had a perfect title. And they didn't use it, and I don't understand why. The first movie, Man of Steel. Uh-huh. The second movie, Dawn of Justice. Yes. This movie should have been called League of Heroes. Oh, okay. Yeah, keep with the... The blank the of blank. Convention. You, yeah. I mean, how did you not do that? Calling it yeah. Justice League is yeah. so low-hanging fruit. Like, okay, yeah, it's yeah. Justice League. Like... See, and I mean, obviously, we the, the comparisons are obvious, but like to look at what happened with the Avengers movie, yes. the first one, and this, and just go, you had so much more time, so much more money, and this is what you, yeah, it's horrible. it's horrible, it's yeah, horrible, it's horrible. It's sorry, I'm sorry, everybody. Yeah, so yeah. I know everybody so, works right, really so, hard, so, and we just, spent yeah. enough time on it, so now. We wipe that away because you don't ever need to think about that movie again yeah. because in your head canon that can not exist anymore because what's coming now is, of course, the Snyder Cut. And what better way to introduce it than with a sing-along? Okay, you, everybody knows the words, so you know as soon as you're ready, you can go right ahead. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Secret chord, right? Uh-huh. I'm right. Come on, people. I'm, I'm listening. I don't hear, hear you singing. Oh, right. Oh boy. Yeah, it goes like this. Right? Okay. I, you guys are not singing along. Okay, all right. You know, it's been two hours. I imagine you're all tired. Okay, all right. David, we'll, we'll David it. never should have been looking at that woman on the roof. That was wrong. <laughs> he knows that. What is the secret <laughs> court? So, I don't know. I, I I guarantee you that movie is in that song is in this movie somewhere. So let's talk about. Finally, we're here. The Snyder Cut. We have not seen it. So at the time of this, uh, it is not have not been released yet. But we are eagerly anticipating it. So on May twentieth, uh, the Jack Snyder officially announced that HBO Max will be releasing his cut of the Justice League in twenty twenty one. And so we're here. Like on, we're we're knocking on the door. It's right. Unbelievable. There. For $70 million to complete the special effects, music, score, and editing. And I've been saying it since this was announced. I was saying it to you now to everyone here. It's a bargain. Oh, yeah. For the amount of time and press and, and attention they're getting, $70 million is nothing. $70 million is how much it cost them to make Daredevil. And this is yeah. going to get way more yes. <laughs> press. Than I, think. I mean, yeah. So they like apparently all of this stuff was shot. They, he... We're told he only shot four minutes of extra footage. Do you believe that? It's, it's, it's shocking to me. And, and the fact that and three of that is probably just Jared Leto. Yeah, I don't know if I believe that. That seems... <laughs> I that, don't know. Why would there's you... A, there's to, a new Flash piece, which I thought... I love that story because um, Ezra Miller is currently shooting the new Fantastic Beasts movie. I don't even know if that has a title yet. Uh, and they had him... They So... Zack Snyder shot him remotely using a drone oh, <laughs> from across from the other side of the world. He was controlling the camera and shooting a flash running or doing something like that. I'm just I, that's I find okay. That there's there's no way you spent time and effort filming scenes and you only got four four minutes of new footage. I don't know. I mean, like he must have just yeah. shot and shot and shot. I think this was right, a Superman one two situation where he intended to use a bunch of the stuff in. There, so right. we don't know much. We know it's four hours long. We know it's six chapters, and we know the chapter names. So here's what I'm going to tell you. So 
part one is called Don't Count on It, Batman. Part two is The Age of Heroes. Part three is Beloved Mother, Beloved Son. Part four is Change Machine. Part five is All the King's Horses. Part six is Something Darker. And the epilogue, this just is breaking news, the epilogue is called A Father Twice Over. Oh, what? I don't know. But uh, there's a couple things that we, we know going on. So let's 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 get our make sure our plot is we know what's the thing. Because there are things that are in and things that are out. So we need to make sure we uh, so everything that happened in Man of Steel happened. Everything that happened in Batman versus Superman happened. Everything that happened in Wonder Woman happened. Everything that happened in Suicide Squad happened. And that's it. Nothing else is relevant to what we're talking about here. Well, there's there's, so, there's only there only would be the original Justice League and Aquaman. Aquaman, yeah. So Aquaman is out, right? Like okay. that. Those the, yeah. the matter where it took place that that was that was shot cool. and done after this movie. So that's out. Wonder Woman 1984 is also out. That oh, the okay. continuity of that Good. is all does not take part of this as as well. And obviously, no television series or anything. Gotcha. And uh, at the time uh, they started this, the Flash is not named the Flash. He's just Barry. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Aquaman, I don't think I don't. I don't we'll see if what that is. Um, but um, they had their symbols and stuff too. But they're not actually that known by the thing. Um, so a couple more things. I, I know. I know. I've kept you a long time, so I appreciate you <laughs> being the. Like, but uh, we're going to get to go things. Uh, one thing you're, you're going to need to know is the format. So I, I was actually talking to Rob about this before we recorded. He did not know this, so I wanted to make sure I put this in here so nobody freaks out. So when you sit down to watch it. And you fire it up, and probably Hallelujah starts playing, I'm guessing. I don't know. Like, we'll see. Um, and you're going to go like, hey, uh, something wrong with my TV? How come it's uh, not filling the frame? Yeah. So, Justice League was formatted in 133 to 1 ratio, which means it's square. That's uh, not your TV. It's not HBO Max. It's Zack Snyder. So... Why? Well, uh, when he was working on the IMAX version of Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, he ha- the IMAX screens are one forty three to one, so they're they're squares because that's where IMAX screens are. So when you when you got if you got the chance to see Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice in IMAX or even Watchmen, they did the same thing or Dark Knight, the IMAX things would revert to the square. And the rest of it is right. wide, and so basically we have almost bars at the top and bottom, and then and then it would be full frame, and then bars top and bottom. He fell in love with the square. He just loved it, and so since then, he's decided that that's what he's going to shoot in. So he reformatted Justice League to be a square. So when you watch it, there will be black bars on the left and right of your image. Now and that's intentional. Okay, uh, can I just say this? And I know I don't not not that guy. Because I understand how important this is for for the art. Yeah, the HBO Max should allow you the option to zoom in, like you do on your phone. Yeah, I mean, really? Because I, I agree. Uh, yeah, that that's people are going to be get confused, and they're going to get a lot of text. Well, and I mean, about and, why is it? And, and I mean, here's the deal. I mean, I want to see it because that that significantly changes this the detail that you're going to see for most people, depending on the size of your television. But True. huh? 
Interesting. Yeah. I'm curious to see how it reformats itself on an iPad, which is much more. Oh, square, you know. Oh no, it would be I mean, perfect. I would, I, would, yeah. I would still recommend whatever your big television is. Watch it on that. Right. I mean, this is not being released theatrically yet. Right. Um, so you only you can only watch it at home. But I'm curious to see how that would be because that is much more of that ratio, and right. they do sometimes automatically reformat stuff too. That's. Um, uh, so yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, by the way, the title of the chapter two, Age of Heroes. See, that's yes. close. That's close to my uh, League of Heroes. Close. It that's is pretty... very close. Yeah, uh... I know. I mean, we could. I'm sure people have already been debating about these things, but uh, we don't need to get into that. Nah, I think we've kept people here long enough. So, um, obviously, Superman's dead. Batman is on the uh, trying to find these heroes because. Some, the bell has been rung and something's coming. Wonder Woman is with him. Uh, the other heroes are out there, but have, they have not met. And at last we saw, Cyborg was in pieces. Uh, and so they oh. don't know what else out there. And uh, so there was a significant portion of Batman v Superman Done and Justice, which took place in what was called The Nightmare. That's played with a K. Nightmare. Um, a possible awful future. And I believe a large section of this movie will also take place in there. So we're going to see sort of what happens if Superman turned bad, mm. and this is what it is, and kind of dark side. So I don't know. So I, don't, I really don't know what to expect in here because oh, how much like, we know very very little. Maybe half an hour, maybe forty five minutes of Justice League the movie was actually based on what his original stuff was, and now this is four hours. So there's going to be whole huge amounts of stuff. Yeah. Well, and we know, and we know, no idea, and we know for sure that we're getting. I know to much people's happiness, we're getting a completely new rendered Steppenwolf. Yes, I mean yes, completely different. Completely different. Right? Yeah, we've seen little bits and pieces of it too, and we are seeing. We're going to see Darkseid. Darkseid yes. was not a part of it. It was sort of alluded to, but we're actually going to see him here. There is, um, there a a, a huge amount of Cyborg's story will be right. in the movie. A a lot of Barry Allen. We're going to see like we're going to see Iris Allen is going to be or Iris West, I guess, at the time, um, is going to be a significant part of it, a character that was not in the, in the, I guess, do we say original? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I don't know, it's, we're, getting, we're getting some weird nomenclature stuff here. Um, but yeah, so, uh, and so there. So I think you're ready. Oh, I've, and, and, uh, I'm ready. I've, I've taken you on a long, long journey. Hopefully, uh, you know this. Uh, I, I didn't. Uh, this maybe is your commute all the way to work and back again, <laughs> or maybe you have to keep working around your block, just waiting for me to wrap up. But I think that that pretty much covers everything. Uh, and so then, obviously, we here at the next reel will be back to talk about the four-hour Zack Snyder cut of Justice League once it has been released. But um, we wanted to be here first to uh, to pray to get your mind right to, to help you be ready to uh, experience it uh, as best you can. And I, I hope we've done that. Indeed. Well done. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the first chapter in the Curiosity Codex, but there are still many pages left to decipher. We're part of the True Story FM family of podcasts. Find out more about us at truestory.fm. Our theme music is Intrusion by Severed Personality, a.k.a. Kevin McLeod. The voice of the Codex is Vicki Hall. Find her on the web at vickihall.squarespace.com. My co-host is Rob Cabosco. Find him with me on the Marvel Movie Minute podcast. And my name is Kyle Olson. The Codex is closed for now. <laughs>